when I watched Donald Trump win the 2016 presidential election, I remember the last time there was a feeling that things were going wrong with the world. And it was three years prior when a bunch of MRIs were running around in my city causing havoc. Before that, I also felt the same feeling that when I was in university, when our conservative premier was ignoring our student request to freeze tuition payments, even though our economy was doing great. I also felt it during 9-11. It's the feeling I can describe as thus, angry exasperation, a feeling that I could do nothing, a feeling of desperation, and I was angry about it. This is a feeling I imagined a lot of people felt when, you know, 9-11 happened or any of these things happened or when Donald Trump won the presidential election. I even felt that all the way up here in Canada because it felt like a weird tipping point. It felt like we were going somewhere before, but then now everything stopped. I didn't imagine Trump winning, but maybe I was naive because all the signs were there. The ingredient entitlement that allowed people to ignore what was in front of their faces to get theirs, basically. It was a weird election, a weird feeling. But knowing what I know now, man, I should have seen it coming. The angry white men. This is one of the quotes that an MRA gives to Michael Kimmel in his book, Angry White Men, which is a fascinating book detailing how a lot of men feel aggrieved in places in America. Quote, Men are angry at losing their kids in the divorce and taking their dreams of raising them and reducing it to a child support payments and every other weekend. Men are angry that they have a higher chance of being audited than they do of finding a successful long-term relationship. Men are angry, and our anger is justified. It's not all directed towards women, not even at feminism, but we are angry nonetheless. And when men are angry, things happen. When men become angry things happen. Well, I couldn't give a better explanation as to what happened in and after 2016. However, as our episodes will tell you, men being angry and doing things is part and parcel of any men's movement. But since this period of time was not that long ago, it's kind of the one that sticks up most in our minds. So we will talk about the one angry boy that spread it out from there. This is the history of modern manhood. disclosure before we begin. I used to be a big Vice fanboy. <laughs> I remember very distinctly picking out a book in my university library in Edmonton, Alberta called Vice's Guide to Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll. I didn't know about Vice magazine at the time. We didn't get Vice magazine in Edmonton. But it was this edgy book and I picked it up and it was all these articles of things that were supposed to be, you know, quote unquote, cool. And I bought it. And I love this book. <laughs> I read almost everything about it. About I read it from cover to cover. And I'll tell you the best part about this book. The best part 
was in the middle of the book, there was a section called the do's and don'ts. Now, the do's and don'ts were basically pictures of people in New York and in Montreal, besides some funny captions below it. And the captions were, they're they're hilarious to me at the time. They were, I felt like the voice of coolness. And the person who wrote those do's and don'ts was Gavin McInnes. Later on, I picked up a full paperback of the do's and don'ts that Vice came out with. Um... And I left it out at parties for people to read. If they came over to my house, uh, I left it out. I would go to parties and and sometimes I would bring the book. I left it out and people loved it. And, I think, and they also found it funny too. Gavin, as I would say in this episode, did legitly have a claim to being in the forefront of cool. And honestly, I bought it. As a 20-something dude, I bought it fully. And a lot of people in that time bought it too. Now, looking back at his writings, the warning signs were all there. The homophobia, the racism, the traditional masculinity, the misogyny, all of that was right there. But I looked past it because it was cool, you know? And it was funny because that was honestly the 2000s in a nutshell. And I'm not apologizing for it. That's just what it was. Looking past some of the real problematic crap to find some sort of unifying culture That was the 2000s. And honestly, we're all just trying to find something to be cool around. Now, I worry about myself, how caught up I got into that when I was younger. I was in, you know, my late teens and my early 20s when that happened. I'm very happy that I came out of that uh, not joining a militia group or, um, you know, thinking about these things with clear eyes. And specifically with people like Gavin, edge lords like Gavin. But I worry that these type of people and people like the Proud Boys entrap men specifically because of their sense of community and quote unquote edginess and ignore the problematic elements of it because they find some sort of community in it. Honestly, it happened to me. (laughs) Again, I'm glad I didn't join a militia because of it. And even though this episode will start in Canada, as you notice right at the top, this is a very American-centric episode. And this is why I brought on one of my favorite Americans. Samantha says, you heard in episode three already. I wanted to bring her back to talk about the Proud Boys, the Black Manosphere, and all the crap that went on after 2016. Enjoy. Modern Manhood. This is episode six. We have one more episode to do this. We have this one, and then we have one more, and then we're done for the season. But I think this one, I feel, is going to be the most present of it, um, and maybe stuff that you, as a listener, might have already known. Um, but it's good to kind of look back on it and just kind of think about this through, uh, um, you know, a masculinity landscape, and also just thinking about the groups that are available, and to have that conversation as well we have samantha and sezi how are you samantha hey i am great i'm very excited to dive into this topic this was like 
kind of like a, a blind date episode where I didn't know what we're going to talk about. Yeah. So. <laughs> I'm, yes. I'm excited that this is what we're talking about. Yeah. Yes, 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 absolutely. Uh, yeah, so today we're going to talk about... Um, a lot about the Proud Boys and a lot about um, what goes on around in the in the 2010s and specifically around masculinity and uh, other spaces as well too, which are pr very prominent in 2022. Um, however, it's it's good to kind of look back on it. Uh, so mm -hmm. Samantha, now that you know the topic, this is the topic. How are you how are you feeling about this? I'm feeling like there's a lot of stuff to talk about. There's a lot of stuff to get out. Um, immediately my first, my first thoughts are like, okay, I always talk about like accountability and compassion existing in the same space. And I'm like, accountability for sure. Compassion. It's going to be tough. It's a little tough for me. <laughs> it's going to be tough. <laughs> in this realm, like, you know, the whole manosphere situation is very, very real. It's mm -hmm. something that I think about and talk about a lot. Um, and to be honest, it worries me more than anything. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that's totally yeah. understandable and fair. Um, so, it's interesting because I I brought you for the last time we talked was um, around the start of the we talked about the start of men's rights, of uh, the men's rights movement, um, and <laughs> we ended with um, the Montreal massacre. Uh, if you remember the the Coal Polytechnic massacre in nineteen eighty nine. Um, and I remember we also talked about it. It was like, hey, we're going to talk a lot about stuff about the U.S. Uh, I, and today uh, we'll start in Montreal again. <laughs> so this will be interesting as well, too. Uh, so before we start, any thoughts before before we begin? Well, I think it's interesting because it's just like the first thing that comes to mind is like Montreal. I used to love being there. I wanted to mm -hmm. live there and everything. And I think generally when we think about our brothers to the north, Canada, there's always this thought that like Canadians are so much nicer than we are. And <laughs> they just do things better than we do. We're, we're, we're walling out down here. But Canada, you know, there, you know, there's a wait list to like move there. But, you know, right. masculinity with the caves is everywhere. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yes. Patriarchy is fucking up everyone. So Yes. It's funny because, yeah. you know, like I remember um, getting into the like talking about masculinity more of it in a public public sphere and uh, I we got I remember getting a lot of questions from Americans being like you know Canadians are so nice and like what's what do you guys do over there that that's different and I'm just like listen um we're not as nice and <laughs> we're just we just hide it very well I think mm -hmm. um this is my perspective as a Canadian uh I think that Americans are much more bombastic a little bit more brass but at the same time the thoughts are kind of the same um they just i think americans just will say it more often than canadians will which is kind of be more passive aggressive about it yeah. however <clears throat> i'm as like if this was in like i don't know 20 2016 2017 when i started talking more often about these things and that was a time of like <clears throat> jordan peterson and i'm like hey jordan peterson's a canadian um yeah. and we it's like listen ted cruz from canada um <laughs> like there's like Stefan Molyneux, also from Canada. Like there's so many different um, Canadians that are involved in these kind of conversations that um, it's yeah we're we're not we're not exempt from that stuff. And actually yeah. we are we're 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 leading the pack, as you could say. <laughs> some could say. Yeah. I don't know. Some I feel could say. like we still have you, Trump, down here. Oh you know, yeah, no, intended. for sure. But, um, <laughs> I don't, yeah. but we're not we're not exempt from from this from this nonsense yeah. is what I'm trying to say. And, sure. and it, this sure. is a really good uh, segue because um, we're going to talk 
we're going to start our conversation in 1994 uh, in Montreal as well, mm -hmm. too, when three guys, Sarush Alvi, Shane Smith, and Gavin McInnes, took out a government loan to start a magazine called The Voice of Montreal in 1996, then later became Vice Magazine. Um, by the way, have you ever read a Vice Magazine from the 90s? Have you read a Vice Magazine in general? Uh, no, I like have known of Vice the Channel. Yes. And so I've watched a good amount of their content, but I don't think I ever read the magazine, no. So yeah, so Vice Magazine, uh, as I mentioned here, can be described in many ways. Uh, <laughs> this is a quote I got from Jimmy Cable back in 2003, uh, which is, he says, quote, their brand of humor is what I would do if there was no standards and practices on TV. So this is when Kimmel was doing The Man Show, by the way, <laughs> in 2003. <laughs> Have you ever what? seen The Man Show? No. Oh, and I, I'm definitely looking into this afterwards. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah. I actually love Jimmy Kimmel. He's one of my favorite kind of like late night hosts or whatever. He is definitely it's not my favorite. Yeah, he's definitely has has had had an arc of like media. But yeah, in 2003, he he started this show with Adam Carolla called The Man Show, um, which is very much like, uh, hey, we're doing dudes being dudes kind of a show. We're like doing dude stuff, and it like a. <laughs> to describe the show, uh, there was to 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 um, what's this called? Segue to commercials. There was uh, girls uh, jumping on trampolines as the segue to commercials. Uh, this is the oh. kind of this is the kind of show. That kind of show. Yeah, oh, that kind of cool. it was on Comedy Central. It was a very specific like type of show. And so in two thousand three, this is what Kimmel was saying about magazine already. Man show was kind of like <laughs> like kind of a ridiculous show in general. almost no interest whatsoever in women's sports unless and this is a big unless the women playing the sports are hot right now when it comes to shooting pool most of the women who play professionally look like a cross between a mater d and the lead singer from ario speedwagon but <laughs> one of them the one they call the black widow looks very different you'll know her when you see and her he Jordan. was saying this is the brand of humor that i would do if there was no standards or practices on tv vice magazine um, at that time was very counter-cultural, counter, counter uh, very the forefront of like edgy political humor, politically incorrect humor. Um, they're not afraid to stir things up and publish things that like most mainstream media would find kind of unpublishable. Uh, so for example, they would publish things like how to date Muslim girls, uh, guides to eating ass, <laughs> guides to doing the best drugs, uh, things like that. That was oh. Vice Magazine in the 90s and maybe the early 2000s. Um, people like David Cross uh, were part of, were contributors to Vice Magazine. Andrew WK, the rock star, uh, was part of it. Sarah Silverman regularly provided content for it. I mean, yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, yep. Yep. There's always one that sticks in. Dang. Yeah, yeah. All and right. it was very considered like very cutting edge for its time. Mm -hmm. Um and honestly, it was a style that many bloggers and later major publications kind of copied. It was very like irrelevant. It was very um, common, like had, had common language. It didn't have like language that, that people had to parse through and like think mm. about. It was just very common, like and trying to publish things that people just didn't um, think about or maybe just thought about it, but just wouldn't be able to like say it. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And it's the tone and style that became the template of like post ironic content that kind of cemented how we speak on the internet now. So it's like oh. how Twitter is like, you know, the language of Twitter. Yes. <laughs> like it's, 
th that's a Vice magazine thing. Like that was that's how Vice spoke and re like read to its audiences. So um, it became very popular. Uh, it was like things like Gawker, for example, took that style and brought up to it as well too. Gawker, yeah, yeah. Things like people like Paris Hilton kind of used that style as well. Like all of these like new media style really looked to Vice magazine and said, this is this is what's popular and good and mm -hmm. like and wasn't afraid to like cross boundaries. And Gavin McInnes was a big part of this. They po he popularized how this was written and, you know, <clears throat> he was the heart and the tone of this organization. Um, his humor was considered either a parody of hate or just plain xenophobic. Um, his do's and don'ts section. At the section, time? At or... the time. Yes. Oh, at wow. the time. Okay. <laughs> this is at the time. Yes. Um, his do's and don'ts section, uh, which was um, basically, how to explain the do's and don'ts? It's in the middle of the magazine, they would have a bunch of pictures of like people walking around Montreal and Gavin McInnes would like comment on these pictures and mm. it would be very like kind of relevant style. Like, oh, like usually it's like women looking really nice and he would just make some stupid comment about it. Or those guys, like the the popular one that I've, that I've seen before, it's like this dad who's like, who's dressing up like with a suit and ha <laughs> he's wearing like this like really ridiculous puffer jacket and he's just like hailing a cab and okay. and the the caption was like goddamn goddamn Evan took my jacket and now I have to wear his stupid jacket to work I can't believe this is happening <laughs> like so it was that kind of humor and yeah his do's and don'ts sections were really really popular um and they're rather ridiculous they're kind of mean and misogynistic or like I said or just kind of plain funny um, mm -hmm. Or all of them at the same time. I am. Uh, <laughs> I used to love the do's and don'ts section. I used mm. to have a little magazine of the do's and don'ts section. Um, later on, when I realized what kind of person Gavin McInnes was, I kind of just threw out that magazine, being like, <laughs> "I'm not. I'm not endorsing this anymore." <laughs> uh, but you, like anybody who's interested, should check out the do's and don'ts section. It is, like I said, a template of how we think about the internet today, like back in the day. Um, Vice and McInnes in general can take a legitimate claim as the originators of hipster culture. I, and he would say this himself. Gavin McInnes would say, I invented the word hipster and I invented the style of hipster. And honestly, people are like, yeah, you probably did. <laughs> like that's, that's, like, he had a legitimate claim to that. Oh, wow. So Gavin McInnes, uh, his political views, very murky. In the 90s, he would say he was a feminist, but by the time he left Vice magazine in a very ugly falling out with co-founder Shane Smith, you could say that McInnes was more of a right-wing libertarian. That's a big jump. Yeah, it is. We'll, we'll talk about this jump. Um, it's not really much of a jump, honestly. Um, there's a lot of stories as to why Gavin was pushed out of Vice magazine. There's an article that claims that the magazine was upset that Gavin wrote about a far-right rally, and he agreed with most of the points. Um mm -hmm. Gavin said he was just there as a journalist. He was like, I'm not supporting this. I'm just here to cover it. <clears throat> There's also other stories that say that his racism became kind of ridiculous in and around the office uh, and in and around the actual magazine itself. So there was a story for Wired magazine in 2007, and it shows what kind of stories that Vice and Gavin was writing. So it says, quote, there was a time that McInnes defended the Gen Y gentrification of Williamsburg to the New York press by tossing out the N-word and concluding... 
hey, at least they're white. McInnes also proclaimed the inferiority of non-Western cultures, opined that most women secretly wanted to be dominated, and boasted of spreading ultra-conservative ideologies to his readers. By the way, does any of this sounds familiar to you? <laughs> yeah, it sounds very familiar. <laughs> I think we just so, had someone yeah. to talk about this for like the last few months about like really <laughs> just like being angry about Andrew Tate. It's kind of like the oh, same geez. thing he was talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anderson is like in particular interesting because he's like one of those people who is like not like doesn't come from like you know kind of like the creme de la creme or like bread and mm-hmm. butter society or whatever but he or not bread and butter but um kind of like that waspy whatever mm-hmm. society like the ultra but, kind of thing yeah, yeah 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 but it feels like he desperately wants to be and he desperately wants to act like he has some claim to that kind of like normalized like you know hyper western hyper you know um patriarchal like white supremacist like supremacist right mm-hmm. and it's like you're mm-hmm. not that and that's okay but now you have a chip on your shoulder. You yep. got to spend that to the day you die, you know? And um, yep, I was very happy to hear that he was no longer on the socials. Like, deal yep. with your trafficking, like, allegations first, you yep. know? Do that at least, you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Like, before you're, like, out here trying to talk about what people should do with their lives. But yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, 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 like I said, it's interesting to hear that McInnes was kind of talking about this before in in early 2000s. Um and it just gets kind of reverberated like tw- almost 20 years later. Um, anyways, co-founder Shane Smith said that in this, this, this is the same article. Uh, he talks about how Vice wants to grow up. Uh, he says, quote, Gavin likes to push buttons and he got a lot of personal uh, notoriety for dealing with the race issues, says Smith. This is not what we're about. It's never what we've been about and it's not the way we want to go. This is in 2007. So the only official things I hear about Gavin's falling out are the words, quote, creative differences. Um, there's a settlement when he left, so they're not allowed to talk about it. But McKinnis says in an article from McLean's magazine, uh, a Canadian magazine, uh, like news magazine, uh, he says, quote, there isn't any hidden secret like I after someone's wife, he says. Usually the most boring answers is the right one. In 2007, as you know, the idea of the manosphere was shaping up around that time. However, it would take a bit for Gavin to start doing that full time. You would imagine like Gavin McInnes would just be immediately being like, yeah, I could just go into blogging and just talk about my stuff and I'll get a lot of traffic. But he took his time because he was a media guy. He wanted to use his medianess to start a company called Rooster Media. Uh, He filmed the movie, starred in a cartoon TV show from Adult Swim that flopped (laughs) and the whole time continuing his far right speeches, complaining about trans people complaining about feminism, complaining about Muslims and Asian people and black people, just a whole gamut. That's Gavin McInnes. This is from a New York... Yeah, very much Stephen Miller, exactly. Um, From a New York Times article titled Proud Boys Founder, How He Went From Brooklyn Hister to Far-Right Provocateur. Mr. McInnes admits that he may be Islamophobic. Quote, it's seen as xenophobic to be worried about Islam, but they appear to disproportionately allow intolerance to blossom in their communities. By the way, Bill Maher probably would say the same thing. Um, He also acknowledged being something of a sexist. He says, I'm an Archie Bunker sexist. He says, I don't like Gloria Steinem, but I'll take a bullet for Edith. Though he has repudiated racism and anti-Semitism in in some of his writings and speeches, he's also made statements that have openly denigrated non-white cultures. 
Last year, he wrote of white men, quote, we brought roads and infrastructure to India and they're still using them as toilets. Our criminals built nice roads in Australia, but Aboriginals keep using them as a bed. So, Gavin. <laughs> you suck. You suck, totally. You suck, Gavin. We don't like you. Yeah. So as you can tell, because he is a media figure and because he is someone that loves to put his opinions out there, there's a ton of evidence of this. This is this is just the small bits that I found. Um but there's so much if you just look. Like, honestly, just look up Gavin McInnes' xenophobic, Gavin McInnes' racism, Gavin McInnes' Muslim, Gavin McInnes' feminism. You will find so many articles about this that you could just be like, oh, this is what you said, hey? <laughs> um, yeah. So from 2008 to 2017, he wrote for a far-right magazine called Tacky's Magazine, where you can see and read his radicalism. Just look up Gavin McInnes' Tacky's Magazine. There's a ton of stuff. There's even the time that his own media company, Rooster, put him on paid leave for writing a transphobic blog post. Um, wow. Yeah, his own his own media company just said, no, you, you're too much for us. <laughs> like, Gavin, in 2015, started a video show called The Gavin McInnes Show and then became a contributor to Alex Jones Infowars, Fox News, and Canadian right-wing network The Rebel. This is where I found him. I honestly... Um, I was following McKinnis because I was just like, this is like, this guy is interesting in Vice. But then when I saw him on The Rebel, which is like the first place I saw him, this very like, it's kind of like the Breitbart of Canada is The Rebel. Uh -huh. Um, He, yeah, he had this, he had this video and he would say it's it's a parody, but he would say like, um, he would call it like, what is the top to top 10 things wrong about Jews. Um, and that was his video uh, called that. So Jeez. yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's awful stuff. Um, but his biggest and most lasting contribution came in 2016, where he found that a lot of people gathered around him and his guests when they stopped at the show. He then went, wanted to create a community around them. And he wrote an article in September 15th, 2016, almost four, day, four days to the mm -hmm. day in Tacky's magazine titled, quote, introducing the Proud Boys. Feminism is redundant. Fighting for racism, fighting racism is redundant. There's a war on masculinity going on in the West and it starts in kindergarten where children are punished for being rambunctious. Boys are punished. Women, before they have kids, they make more money than men. How so? They generate more income. They have a higher average salary than men do at that age. Then they have kids and then their priorities change and they'd rather be at home with the kids because it's better at home with the kids. It's more natural, there's nothing wrong with that. Why are we discouraging it? But this idea that men get paid more than women is a lie. So McKinnis labeled this as a basic tenant of the group. Quote, the basic tenet of the group is that they are Western chauvinists who refuse to apologize for creating the modern world. Like Archie Bunker, they long for the days when girls were girls and men were men. And then at the climb claimed that there is a Midwest chapter, the Pacific Northwest Seattle chapter, the Louisiana chapter, Minnesota Proud Boys, Proud Boys Nashville, Proud Boys Texas, Proud Boys UK, Proud Boys Canada, Proud Boys Australia, Brazil, New Jersey, and even a branch in the Middle East. It's hard to determine just how many they are. The private Facebook page has just over a thousand members, and that is a good gauge as any. So this is at the time when he wrote this article in 2016. And September 2015, 2016 was two months away from Donald Trump's election win in America. So we cannot blame this on Trump election because this anger, this idea that they shouldn't apologize for anything, this modern aggrieved entitlement started way before 
then. And we'll talk about that. But first, I wanted to ask you, have you had any run-ins with the Proud Boys in where you are? Um, You mean like, like have I run into them physically? Like, Yeah, physically or seen them or just been around. Like, like, is there like, is have they been a kind yeah. of a, a thing in your community? I mean, I live in Oakland now. When I first moved back to California, I was living in a, in a suburb that's kind of further out into more conservative country. Definitely not as mm-hmm. conservative as some other places, but slightly more conservative. But I never really, even then, that never really had a run with anything that is like that extreme ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you remember like the first time you've heard of the Proud Boys? Yes. I remember the first time I heard of the Proud Boys because they were in in or they were basically organizing support for Trump. Mm-hmm. And that was what, you know, the the thing that I knew about them was that they a lot of them were kind of bouncing back and forth between Reddit and like Parlay to organize mm-hmm. themselves. It was all about kind of waiting for the next word from Trump. Um and that may be confusing because I think that Proud Boys came out with like when I first started hearing about the Proud Boys, it was about it was along with a lot of other extremist root groups. So, mm-hmm. um, the people Dolce the Dolce Fat on Me people are part of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. The one, what's the one that Gina Carano um might oh. be part of? Um, it's like the Oath Keepers or MTG's. like the Three Percenters or something. Yeah, maybe. Um, she's part of uh, QAnon. QAnon, yes. QAnon, yes. How can we yes. forget about? I know. How can I forget about QAnon? Yeah. Um. Yeah. So basically, I kind of heard that in that whole sea of extremists that were basically just like supportive of this fascist president. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. um, and the thing about the Proud Pro Boys that I heard was also that um, I forget the name, but the guy who got punched by somebody at a protest. Oh, Richard Spencer. Think, it was Richard Spencer. Richard Spencer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, is he Proud Boys or is he like some no, other No, he's a white nationalist. He's a straight up white white nationalist supremacist. Like he okay. started his own thing beforehand. I'm sure that they're kind of like, they're connected in a way. That's a good point about Richard Spencer. So Richard Spencer, because he is, he was a white nationalist. He still is a white nationalist, white supremacist. Um, and the thing with the Proud Boys and Richard Spencer is that they, just like Gavin McInnes, proliferated in like internet in like, in this kind of internet culture. Um, mm-hmm. And this is how really they became really famous and popular through things like memes and things like 4chan and things like Reddit. Like they, like um, like the Reddit subreddit, the Donald was very much filled with like pro Proud Boys propaganda. And at the time, I remember hearing when I heard about the Proud Boys originally, um, they weren't this kind of like mobilized army as you would know now. They would be kind of like this kind of ridiculous community of guys. Um, like they, you know, famously they would they they would uh, try to introduce members by by having like this like this like beating them up, like punching them, like each member punching oh. them, and like saying like, and they would have to like label like cereals as they are like punching them. So like it's kind of ridiculous. It's <laughs> um, hazing, yeah. And yeah, it's kind of a hazing ritual, um, but. It's, I remember at the time, this is in, like I said, 20, 2016, like just before Trump or even in the middle of Trump. I remember the Proud Boys being like, no, we're not like these 
this far right like militia we're just some dudes hanging out and why are you so angry about some dudes hanging out uh as you know now the proud boys are not not matched that at all <laughs> like they're they're we'll talk about what the proud boys are uh, a little bit later um however it's interesting thinking about the start of the proud boys through gavin McInnes because gavin McInnes, like i said um the way that he has delivered his message is through this kind of irony and this post-ironic sentiment of hate and xenophobia. He wasn't like immediately was like, I hate this thing and I hate that thing. They're just, he's just like, well, kind of jokey in a way. He's like, how do I think about these kind of situations? And how do I think about being like misogynist and sexist in a modern world? Like he kind of like sneakily intro- introverted his way through society and try to make it quote unquote cool and try to make mm-hmm. it something like that is that is like provocative and countercultural instead of just straight up racist or xenophobic or misogynist. You know what I mean? So and it's interesting yeah. how a lot of like like people do that nowadays. It's not just this like straight up I hate this. You know what I mean? Yes, I do know what you mean. And I feel like a lot of these kind of yeah, to to kind of piggyback on what you're saying, it's kinda of like I was watching this documentary about this um this young woman who defected from i think it was europa it's like one of the really far-right groups or whatever where she was like kind of one of the ones who like initiated people in the group or whatever Mm -hmm. so basically she was kind of like a really essential part of it um and so and one of the things that you know she was saying is like the way that they are able to kind of remain somewhat acceptable is that it's not about oh, black people are racist, whatever. It's about, oh, no, we're we're centering ourselves around like a white identity mm-hmm, and making mm-hmm. sure that we're connected to our culture and to our roots. And like, you know, we have, there's always this kind of like hyper-Christian, this mm-hmm. kind of weird Christianism that's like weaved into that culture, right? Where it's like, well, it's about God. It's about, you know, being traditional right men being men women being women mm-hmm. it's about kind of reclaiming this particular part of like the past and like using that as like our value system because things weren't so messed up back then quote unquote right um rather than it being called what it is which is something that is a very exclusive club where there is a very specific power hierarchy where there are very specific roles that people are supposed to mm-hmm. play um, where women are supposed to not speak unless they're spoken to mm-hmm. in the year 2022. Um, so it's it's an interesting thing because I feel like, um, not to go on too much of a tangent, but I feel no. like this is this kind of like speaks to the bigger kind of conservative, hyper conservative, but also just like even um, like the more uh, moderate conservatives, right? This like conversation around you know, there's there's nothing wrong with you necessarily. We just want to maintain, we just want to protect what right. we have. Right. But then it, it's also kind of, it, it's all about kind of creating a new message, kind of a sugarcoating message, like basically controlling the narrative so that we're talking about us rather than like, like they're talking about themselves as a group rather than talking about how the different ways that that marginalizes other groups in society and how Mm -hmm. them kind of coming directly from like a dominant group directly kind of feeds into that. 
Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think that you hit upon really one of the main things that was dangerous about the Proud Boys from the start. And this was this idea of being Western chauvinists. And I think that was something that um, he, he like... Gavin McInnes is always like, oh, no, we're just really proud of, like, this is why it was like, we're proud of who we are. We're just proud of being part of, like, Western uh, civilization. And we're just like, why is that anything wrong with that? Like, using this kind of, like, nationalist tendencies to to proclaim this idea of, of unity. But through that idea of unity, it's always a zero-sum game, right? It's like, yep. if we game then who loses like and the idea is never that we're trying to protect this it's the idea of like the way to protect this is to have other other people lose and that's yep. the way to do this right and that's that's what's working within this group it's never it's a very kind of like oh no we're just we're just doing this for the for the good of the whatever right um and what we'll talk about right now actually is the idea that they have taken this message that people are hurting or people not being heard and using it to their own advantage. Um, and I talk about this because the Proud Boys in general, because, and I, and, I, and this is the history of modern manhood, um, and especially uh, history of like men's movements. This is very specifically a men's movement, even though they would say, oh, there's women in the Proud Boys, there's all these people. These, this is a men's movement, and this is specifically talking about masculinity, and this is specifically talking about a community of men that yeah. supposedly were just talking about, just creating, just just talking about things, but then it got turned into something else, and it didn't come out of nothing. Like this is not just like this came organically. How it became now this like uh, almost like a militia, like this own little militia nowadays. So you know, it's it's. We have to watch out for that is what I'm trying to say. And we have to watch out for the messages that sometimes gets hidden in these kind of ironic or post-ironic things. And like when people are are jo kind of joking about certain things, it, it's a warning. Like, and, and I think Gavin McInnes shows us that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I feel like this is like, I, I, I really like the way you put that because this is a logical outcome of the society, the, this, the white supremacist society that we've, we've been living in, mm -hmm. specifically because they're systemically protected, right? Like, mm -hmm. I mean, if we look at, you know, I mean, January 6th, you know, eventually there was some sort of accountability, but some chick that was there just got some ribbon of freedom or whatever, some yeah. kind of prize from somebody for being a national hero simply because she, she was part of the insurrection. So I'm like, okay, there's systemic <laughs> protection for these people. Mm -hmm. You know, we remember mm -hmm. Charlottesville, people mm -hmm. being able to, and, and many protests after that, people being able to walk around with machine guns because they're white, because mm -hmm. they're white and they're trying to protect the sanctity, quote unquote, of whiteness and mm -hmm. the the legacy of whiteness that this country continues to bestow upon us, even though we're pretending like we're, kind of like this, you know, inclusive, you know, progressive society, you know, and I feel like the systemic mm -hmm. protection has allowed for that narrative to go on, just like it allows for the narrative of the GOP to go on within, you know, Congress, when we know that there are so many legislators right now that are doing illegal shit. There are mm -hmm. so many criminals mm -hmm. right through Congress, but they get that systemic pr protection, you yep. know, so. Totally. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I think, no, it's yeah. a good, it's a really good point. That systemic idea of protection. Yeah. And you can see that with people, even like, like people like Kyle Rittenhouse, right? Like that's the, that's a very, Oof. 
typical like idea of like systemic uh, protection uh, for oh, somebody geez. who has killed somebody and and was like, no, we're we're all good. And what That's did he turn really into? This bad one. Yeah, like he he's turned 17. into seventeen. Sorry. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm like, but, what do you think? What kind of person do you think he's going to turn into? Like, he's yeah. 17. You hold him accountable for nothing. Mm-hmm. He's been touted as a hero. Mm-hmm. What kind That's of what, like, what does this person then grow on to become? Like, it's mm-hmm. just anywhere. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. No. Um, I want to talk about this this idea of the modern aggrieved entitlement and how how people like the Proud Boys have used the anger of the populace to their own gains and purposes. So I want to go back to uh, the morning of February 19th in 2010 in Austin, Texas. So this is when software engineer Joe Stack set fire to his house and then flew a plane into an Austin building of the IRS, killing himself and an IRS manager. In his suicide note, he claims, quote, while very few working people would say they haven't had their fair share of taxes, as can I, in my lifetime, I can say with a great degree of certainty that there has never been a politician cast a vote on any matter with the likes of me or my interest in mind, nor for that matter, are they the least bit interested in me or anything I have to say, end quote. His suicide note, which was revised 27 times before he finally delivered it and then made his fateful decision goes on to detail his life and his thoughts about not only the U.S. tax system, but the people at hand who, in his eyes, have one rules for the rich and powerful and another for the rest of us. Well, I will say Joe Stack's decision to not only hurt himself and hurt others was an awful act, and I don't condemn him at all. Please don't do this. Um, I do emphasize, empathize with his anger, not only at the politicians, but the systems at B. It's also fair to know. By the way, do you know the story of Joe Stack? Uh, no. Okay. Yeah, this is honestly the first time I heard of it when I was looking at it. Um and it's an interesting like like detail as to what this anger is in in America at this time in 2010. Uh-huh. It's also fair to note that Joe Stack was a white man who lived in a middle-class life that was rife with debt. He did own a business, but that business could not pay its bills. His ex-wife filed for bankruptcy and at the time of his actions was being audited by the IRS. He did have enough to own a $200,000 home in Austin and paid about $250 a month to rent a hangar in Georgetown Airport so he could learn how to fly. So he did have some money. He was just kind of a middle-class guy, but he filed for bankruptcy at the time. Joe Stack's actions led to an aftermath and an internal questioning of not only the IRS and taxes, but of the bigger picture of the economic world. Noam Chomsky, famous leftist, in an interview with left-wing news agency Democracy Now! in May of 2010, he said of Stack, Quote, he left the manifesto explaining his actions. It was mostly ridiculed, but I think it deserves a lot better than that. These studies revealed the sense of acute betrayal on the part of the working people who believed that they had fulfilled their duty to society in what they regard as a moral compact with business and government, only to discover that they had only been instruments for profit and power, truisms from which they had been carefully shielded by doctrinal institutions. Now, Shamsi then goes on to list many different plights in India and how the force of China and the global market have affected local workers like the people in India and the people like Joe Stack. This feeling, this feeling of disenfranchisement, this feeling that the world is not giving you what you owe, that there are different rules for different people. This is what's kind of, you know, fueling the fire of America in 2010s, especially after the financial collapse, the financial crisis. So this is Michael Kimmel in Angry White Man. He describes this promise as thus, quote, 
With neither a feudal aristocracy nor clerical indulgence, American manhood was defined in opposition to the European version, where rank and birth and blood determined your fate. Here in the American Eden, all was new and naked, and a man could rise as high as his talents and aspiration and hard work could take him. That is the promise, the American the American uh, vision, right? Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> After the 2008 financial crisis and the buyouts of the big banks and an ill-advised war in Iraq, this promise was broken for people like Joe Stack. And not only that, this is a generation that is learning the pains of Thatcherism and free market-loving Reaganomics can give us. People were starting to understand that the field is not level for everyone. In the early 2010s, you could see a rise to fight these big institutions in movements like Occupy Wall Street. But in 2016, this anger by these men had not turned to the bigger institutions. Kimmel again. Quote, no, they turned to the right, harangued by a vi- by volatile group of ultra-right-wing extremists who dominate America's airways. There, they are seduced into blaming other people who are in the same situation that they are in. Other groups are equally hurting because of the uh, rapacious greed of the bankers and their pals in politics. They lash out at immigrants or minorities, who they accuse of stealing their jobs. They lash out at women whose inroads into the workplace have coincided with the collapse of a living wage among white men. In 2016, we had a big right-wing media machines like Fox News, Breitbart, Infowars, The Revel in Canada, The Blaze, and among many others. Gavin McInnes and his Proud Boys were not the originators of a movement, but another piece of the board. Yet, they are the most popular and most visible men's group we have today. What do you think about that? Um. Well, I... I feel like what what's right there is like they're not the originators, right? Like this is something that's been capitalized on because this was already kind of like living in the ether of the United States, right? This is part of the culture. Um, and I feel like this is kind of what this is pointing out. It's like this notion that, <clears throat> yeah, it is an aggrieved entitlement because they lied to you. They told mm-hmm. you that you could, as a man, as a white man, you would be entitled to all these things. And then it actually ended up just being that, you know, mostly rich white guys would be avail- would be able to have all of these things. But then also what's there is also that, yeah, you believe like the 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 the, the degree of entitlement is also, you know, hinges on the fact that like. People have access, like, as a, as a white guy, if you have access to certain things at the same time as a black dude, or as a a white woman, or Mm -hmm. as a Latina woman, Mm -hmm. it's like, I should have gotten that shit first, because Mm -hmm. we live in a white supremacy, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. this was supposed to be mine, right? So, like, everything that then everyone is allowed to just, like, thrive and be able to get for themselves is viewed as, like, a oh, you're taking shit from me. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I think that that's something that, you know, people like the Proud Boys, like all of the nationalists or whatever that, you know, the extreme nationalists have been able to capitalize on. Yeah, um, absolutely. Probably in, in like aggrieved themselves. Um, and well, let me not say too much, but no, you know. it's all good. I, I agree with all of that. And I think that the, the idea that um, they also fuel this hate within themselves like they they are right now like of course like some of the biggest like cultural war fights is against trans people and some of the and i'm just like trans people are one percent of the population i don't know two percent of the population like they're they just they just want to live right they just want to feel like they can be a part of this world that's all and yet 
this is the biggest fight that they're trying to just keep the kind of the status quo because they like you mentioned you they want to keep that hierarchy they want to keep that hierarchy clean because even though they're not getting anything they still want to be at the top of the ladder right they still want to be at top yeah. so that whatever handouts or whatever comes trickling down they're the first ones to grab mm -hmm. and not anyone else and so the rise up of other identities is obviously like a danger to them right you know what i mean and it's you could you could see that throughout throughout the history of of modern men's movement this idea of aggrieved entitlement and i love that kimmel actually kind of calls this out it's just this idea that i've been angry because other people have been gaining specific rights this happened when women started getting paid for work this happened when women started getting the vote this happened when uh there was <clears throat> more uh, gay people that were being recognized uh this happened when gay marriage started being uh more recognized and now it's with trans people it's now it's just any type of like aggrievement that they felt would, you know, cut their legs off uh, because of the whatever thing that the government or the big money players were not giving them. And mm -hmm. so they started blaming everything also for there. And this idea that the the American dream, like that Kimmel says, this idea of the, the American Eden where man could rise up as high as his talents and aspirations and hard work could take them. That's always been a lie. That's always been a myth. That's always been something that we still think of as being uh, correct and true because we don't have feudalism. We don't have like like case systems, but we do have them. They just don't look the same. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? They just mm -hmm. don't. We just don't label it as that. You know what I mm -hmm. mean? One hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, since the publication of McInnes' blog post announcing the start of the Proud Boys, they stopped being a social club of sorts and started becoming of an evolving street gang. First of all, radicalizing their members to support mostly pro-libertarian and pro-conservative views, especially leaning towards the politics of Donald Trump. So let's talk about what the Proud Boys are right now. So it's easy how to see how the contrarian shitlords like McInnes would love to take a contrarian group like the Proud Boys and then that contrarian group be energized by the supreme contrarian edgelords Donald Trump. However, if they just stayed as a social group and not mobilized, I don't think we would have so much of a problem with the Proud Boys. I think it, they would just be like this group that's just like, they would just, we just call them idiots and we wouldn't have like this, this national crisis over them. Yeah. Um, but they have increasingly involved themselves in opposing what they would call cultural Marxism or so-called radically left groups like Antifa. From an article called Pride and Prejudice, The Violent Evolution of the Proud Boys, this is from the Combating Terrorism Center, quote, Proud Boys and their leadership had vilified each of these spaces as cultural Marxism or communism and regularly leveraged conspiracy theories that the view Democrats and liberals as evil and corrupt. Members of the group have engaged in targeted acts of violence, predominantly against left-wing protesters and protest movements and Democrat-heavy municipalities like Portland, Oregon. Strategically, these targets represent symbolic and physical manifestations of the existential threats purportedly facing Western culture. Practically, these actions provide a, a visceral mechanism for radicalization of, to violence that tie the group's successes and survival to the diminishment of adversaries via hostile actions. And of course, the rise and win of Donald Trump aided the rise of the Proud Boys and vice versa. Ever since his election, the Proud Boys, among other groups, have served as the de facto Trump militia. 
they have been heavily involved with alt-right rallies and protests, as well as culminating with the United Right protests in Charlottesville, as you mentioned, and the murder of Heather Heyer in that rally. By the way, <clears throat> do you remember like everything that happened after that rally? That rally was a was a big like storm of of I think it felt like this like people who weren't really paying attention were finally like, whoa, that's a that's a big wake up call, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I just keep on thinking about, like, I keep on thinking about that car. Mm -hmm. That car, and, like, I keep on thinking about the state of mind that you have to be in to just drive into a crowd of people. Absolutely. And, like, the kind of entitlement that you must feel, like, the kind of aggrieved entitlement that you have to feel in your daily life to be, like, my best course of action right now is to drive through this crowd of people who are just, well, I guess... In that view, my en like their enemies or whatever, and how that just, that's like a whole mob of people just moving forward, thinking exactly that way, right? It's mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. and again, some consequences, right? But like, in terms of the way that the messaging is around this is like, these wild extremists, it's crazy. We're still investigating to try to figure out what's happening. We're still trying to figure it out. And it's like, what is there to figure out? I know. I know. It's clear as day what's it's going so on It's so clear. Here. It's so clear. And it's so, like, interesting being like, oh, you know, like, we, like, no, that's a famous, like, Donald Trump thing. There's two, the, the two sides are, like, the, they're bad people on both sides, as he would say. Um, but right. at the same time, I remember after that rally that the rebel in Canada was like, <clears throat> We are disavowing anything that's called alt-right. Like anything called, like we're not an alt-right newspaper. They even had like kind of like an apology of being, to people being like, like not even like uh, claiming responsibility or like, or like even apologizing, but they were very like, no, we're not alt-right. Don't call us alt-right. We're just kind of like sticking away a little bit of like retreat to it, which is really interesting mm -hmm. because they've always been this contrarian uh, shitlords in the internet. And I think that's, I always feel like we need to call that out. We need to call it like contrarianism instead of just like, this is alt-rightism, which is like, I mean, this is alt-right or fascism, which it is. However, we need to start calling these people. It's like, you're just doing this to cause shit. Like you're just doing this so you can, so you can stir things up. And guess what happens when people stir shit up is people get murdered like people get hurt yeah. and that's what happens with these things. And I, I think people like Breitbart or like Infowars and the rebel and blaze or whatever the case is like the daily wire. Now it's just like these people like Jordan Peterson or Ben Shapiro, or even just like the Marjorie Taylor greens of the world. Like you're, all you're doing is stirring shit up. Like you're just being contrarians for the sake of being contrarianism. So you can gain more of that anger, more of that aggrieved entitlement. And the more that happens, the more people get hurt. Mm -hmm. And because the rebel is, didn't change anything that they did, they're still doing the same things as they did before the rally. It's just, they're just like, no, we're not alt right. It's like, you're just <laughs> like, you're still doing the same still, shit. Yeah. <laughs> the label doesn't change the facts. Friends. No, <laughs> uh, the label is, I mean, it, it's just a moniker. Right. But I think like at the end of the day, the values stick and i feel like yeah it's more of this like kind of like oh no 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 this is this isn't what we're doing this is 
more of this kind of like controlling the narrative, which mm-hmm. like for some reason, that narrative always sticks. Like it's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's always like some people like you've got like a whole movement of these folks. Right. But it's like we're going to talk about them individually. We're going to say, oh, all right groups are going to say extremist groups are not going to call them terrorists, which is what they are. Yeah, exactly. We're not going to call them you know, racists. We're not going to call them misogynists, which is what they are, xenophobes, which is mm-hmm. what they are. Like, we're going to call them some other new moniker that we're going to come up with so that we can pretend as if that's not the same shit that we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like some novel new idea that then you can be like, you know, kind of in the process of discovering and understanding rather than the process of like stopping and holding accountable. It's like we're still trying to figure it out. No, we're not. Yeah. The FBI in 2008 said that the the that uh, uh, far right extremist groups was the biggest national threat that the United States said. That's 14 years ago. That's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. before before mm-hmm. it they started knew. to pop off like this. They exactly. knew. They knew. It's 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 wild. It's wild yeah. how people just kind of ignore it and just like we play like stability politics about like oh we can't do this or we can't say these certain things it's beyond our report and i was like ah come on just ability politics that's a good term yeah it's yeah it's ridiculous anyways after that rally the proud boys were deplatformed um throughout twitter throughout any social medias or anything like that or facebook as well um gavin mckinnis wanted to walk back and renounce the group there's a funny story about that i'll tell you in a bit uh mckinnis stepped back as chairman of the proud boys in 2018 and was replaced by enrique tario so when McInnes walked back, uh, he renounced the group. He actually, it, I remember what community he lives in, in the U.S. Um, but the after the rally, his community was really upset that Gavin McInnes actually lived in, in like the community members, they were upset that Gavin McInnes lived in this community and started putting up these signs being like, we don't, we, we don't want hate in this community kind of things. And people asked, um, McInnes is like, are you going to put up one of these signs? Because this is talking about you. <laughs> uh, and McInnes like made this kind of like, like almost like an apology being like, I want to live in this community. I want to be part of this community. As you know, I know what these signs represent and like, I'm not part of the Proud Boys anymore, but it's, it's so interesting and funny and also really cool that this community was like, was like, we don't want this shit here. <laughs> it's very kind of like the... You know, I, I don't like NIMBYism, but this is the cool NIMBYism. <laughs> like, this is like not in my neighborhood kind of thing. This is the this is the NIMBYism I can support. <laughs> not in my backyard. Like, Gavin McKinn is not in my backyard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bye. Yeah, no, Bye. that's... I mean, I feel like that's, that, that's what has to happen. You know, mm-hmm. like I feel like... Because generally speaking, it's more like... They're like to, allowed to thrive under the oh like a, a like a taboo kind of culture where you don't talk mm-hmm. about it, but it kind of like that allows it to thrive. And I feel like it's like no, you have to take a stand. You yeah. have to take a stand. Yeah, you know these yeah. people are taking a stand. That's why they're able to go so far. You know, like exactly. yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, Enrique Tario, Enrique Tario, um, specifically push this idea of mobilization within the Proud Boys and being prepared for violence when they go out. So I'll read you one of the quotes of Joseph Biggs. He's one of the leaders of the Proud Boys. Uh, He says, quote, when we set out to do an event, we go, okay, what is our main objective? That's the first thing we discuss. We take three months to plan an event. It's like you're literally planning to go into a combat zone. So again, they're not a social group. They're not trying to do like specific rallies. They're not trying to be anti-violent. They're there. Because they know there's going to be violence. They, they're prepared for violence. And they, again, 
like in the words of Joseph Biggs, planning to go into a combat zone. The Proud Boys, of course, are not the only mobilized alt-right group. However, they're one of the most visible and most connected to the idea of manhood. That's why I talk about them. The idea of masculinity and of being almost a proud sexist, what once was started as a social club, turned into a national street gang, which connects to the idea that the masculinity of domination, when not unchecked, will eventually turn into violence. Now, there's a lot of different podcasts and news sources that we can give you to the history of Donald Trump, so I'm not going to do that. There's, you just go look them up yourself. There's a ton of things out there. Uh, however, I will say that the election of Donald Trump gave major rise to a lot of the groups of men who felt aggrieved by the systems and blamed minorities, the marginalized, and feminism in general. Yeah. And one of the shadowy ones were the incels, which we'll talk about in a bit. Uh, so, by the way, that was... The Proud Boys. How are we feeling about the Proud Boys? <laughs> Except for they suck and they, we don't like them. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think they're really smart. They're smart. They're Absolutely. really smart. They're they able to capitalize, able to mobilize. They're able to, like the PR machine or our group or representative, whoever they are, are, are really badasses in the sport because it's like, you know, they're able to thrive mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as a supremacist group. Yeah, absolutely. Mostly unchecked. I mean, there have been obviously things that have happened and everything in terms of like accountability and all of that. But generally speaking, like the Proud Boys remains like a thriving entity. Mm -hmm. And they continue to spout whatever, like they haven't had to dial it back in any way. Like they're not subject to the same like, oh, this needs to be more palatable, palatable because their narratives already kind of like takes care of that, right? Like mm -hmm. the way that they present themselves already takes care of the like, oh no, we can introduce these concepts and talk about the concepts of just like wanting to have a specific type of community, wanting to connect to like traditional masculinity. Because again, you know, I keep on like thinking about, you know, um, this concept that Veronica introduced me to, this concept of the rape culture pyramid. It's like, mm -hmm. it's all part of the pyramid. Yeah, it's all part of their pyramid, you know, mm -hmm. and as long as it doesn't get recognized as such, it, they're allowed to thrive. So, yeah, I agree with you yeah. with the marketing part of it. I think this idea yeah. that like gathering this idea of a grief entitlement and using it to their purposes, really effective. And their symbolism is also very effective. Like they use those Fred Perry shirts. They they will recognize people from the streets from each other as being part of this this proud boy community. Um they're very good at also using, like I said, irony and post-irony and also this kind of like fuck you attitude that is like, I, we don't give a shit what anyone says. We're going to just do what we need to do is very effective. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it's and honestly, I hate saying this sometimes, but I'm just like, this is something that people should actually like, like look into and and say, we need to use this as a positive sense of force, right? We can use irony and post-irony in a way that is effective um, for <clears throat> for creating better rights. And I think do, some people do do that actually, but in the, I think there's a lot to be learned from Gavin McInnes and there's a lot to be learned from the Proud Boys. Um, like Democrats should learn from them. Absolutely. Honestly. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Like, but they won't because that's not the game for them, yeah, but yeah. No. Okay. This episode of Modern Manhood is brought to you by the Alberta Podcast Network and the Alberta Blue Cross. Life as a business owner can be hectic, say the least. Alberta Blue Cross understands that, and they offer flexible health, dental, life, and disability coverages for your employees. Even better, 
You can let your staff enroll and manage their coverage at any time and on any device. That makes life easier for them and for you. You've got this when it comes to group coverage as well, too, for your small business. And Alberta Blue Cross has your back. So if you want to learn more and explore your options, head over to ab.bluecross.ca. So that's ab.bluecross.ca. This episode is also brought to you by Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta. Offering internet, electricity, and natural gas with low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who you buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from. It's pretty cool. So Park Power has low overhead, which in turn allows them to offer low competitive rates. Reach out for a no-obligations comparison by emailing estimates at parkpower.ca. If you decide to switch, it's easy. You really just need to change your billing and you can feel good knowing you're helping to give back to your communities with your utilities bill. To learn more, go to parkpower.ca. Let's talk about the incels. Um, so the incels are not as um, visible as the fraud boys, but they're just also very, very important to talk about. Um, yeah. They also have a really important uh, history, uh, which we'll talk about in a bit. Uh, so we talked a little about the insoles in the Manosphere episode um, that we did last episode, uh, noting that they were one of the groups of men highlighted by the internet and specifically Reddit during that time. But the term itself was started by another community mm-hmm. person named Alana. In May 1997, she posted a link in a local Usenet group saying, quote, if you have had a lifelong difficulty starting dating or forming relationships, you might actually want to check out my new webpage. And then posted to her page, Alana's Involuntary Celibate Project. In her page, she explains in details the struggles of her dating life and what she labels as a problem. In her words, quote, people with a problem nobody talks about, I will call it involuntarily celibacy. It can happen whether you are outgoing like me or shy, whether you are gay like me or straight. It's not uncommon. You can probably think of a maiden aunt or an acquaintance who had never mentioned a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, or wife. Our society expects us to form couples and families, though, so I feel, felt embarrassed for never having a significant other. End quote. So Lana continues in her about page detailing that she is a young 20-year-old lesbian who at the start was pursuing the wrong sex, as she puts it. And then she noted that she became afraid of being in a relationship. <clears throat> she even talks to others in her position and lists what are some of the hurdles that she has had to overcome to find a relationship and what has helped, including using feminist perspective to think about her own problems from childhood, including body image, skin problems, and her lesbianism. The advice that she gives is honestly amazing. And in her page, she's very open about her inner struggle that she had had to tell the truth of who she really is. So quote in her words, My greatest struggle has been to learn to tell the truth about what I see and how I feel. I could not start dating until I could tell myself the truth, that I wanted a partner and that I was likable, attractive person. Then I had to take risks and tell other people the truth. I felt attracted to them. Now that I can recognize and tell people my feelings, I have much more control over my life and my future. This is Alana. Have you heard about the story, the the original story of incels? Yes. Yeah. I actually, on Minority Quarter, actually, shout out to James. Um, nice. They, yeah, we, I had a moment where I talked about involuntary celibacy. And yeah, I found this out and was like, what the hell? I know, right? I don't go to shit. Like, this was like actually like a nice kind of like, you know, I related to it in some ways. I was like, oh. Um, <clears throat> Absolutely. And, Me yeah. too. Me too. Mm-hmm. I think what Alana put down 
it's fascinating that incels came from this because what what she puts down here is just her struggles of trying to find a partner and also her struggles of identity, her struggles of like what it feels like to be a young lesbian and what mm-hmm. it feels like to feel like I'm not attracted to men. Is there something wrong with me? Is basically what she's trying to say. And she doesn't understand that she's a lesbian and she doesn't understand maybe she feels attractive to women, but also like, is she trying to figure out how attractive she is in this world and parsing through this idea of body image and just like parsing through this idea of insecurity and systemic issues as well, too. I'm just like, Alana, you like, you gotta, you gotta figure it out. Like this is (laughs) like, this is something people don't learn about until maybe later on. But I'm just like that last quote mm-hmm. about um having control over my life and future now that she can tell the truth that not only does she feel attractive as a person but she feels that i can tell people that i am attracted to them mm-hmm. that is amazing <laughs> that is so amazing yeah yeah we wish that for all the incels seriously uh, seriously <laughs> if they had that level of like self-reflection uh perhaps we could arrive there but uh, yeah yeah and Alana, her whole purpose was to make this website to help others, mm-hmm. um, to help people so they could not, so they thought that they could be in a relationship and try to think about their own issues. That was the whole reason why she made this this project, um, not only societally but also psychologically. She advises people to read feminist books like *The Beauty Myth* about body image or *The Dance of Intimacy* about relationships in general. She then at the end gives a word of encouragement, stating, "I hope my story has shown that it is possible. There's a sense of hope there." And again, this is fascinating because the last page is exactly the opposite of what you would think of those modern incel. Like this is the complete opposite of what you would think about. The person who coined this term looked at her relationship with relationships and thought, how can I change that view for myself? And not only that, use feminist text to do so. So when you read her story and you hear a hopeful young person who's worked a lot through her own shit and generally wants to see others improve. So within the internet community in the 2000s, this idea took off, especially with men. Now, remember, this is around the time of the books like The Game, when we talked about last episode. Uh, have you heard oh about The God, Game? <laughs> no, but I just saw what you were going, where you were going next. and <laughs> We're not going to talk about pickup artists in this episode. We talked about Jeez. this in the last episode, uh, so you missed that all, guys. So you were, you're, you're safe from that. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. you. It's yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, Virginia. She, she got, she got to hear the brunt of that one. (laughs) It seemed like through the internet, a lot of men were finding uh, camaraderie through their relationship with relationships. Two websites became popular. One called insult support, welcome men and women, and usually banned misogyny. Uh, Remember the original movement was societally feminist. So this is from the box article, our insult problem quote, In the beginning, it was neither exclusively male nor dedicated to fatalistic anti-women ideology. We created our own little community, he says. We weren't angry, and we certainly weren't going to allow any violent rhetoric. Incel support adhered to something like Unlana's inclusive vision. It was open to men and women, and moderators banned misogynistic posts. That's where Internet Incel Historium, red-formed incel, spent his time. The other website was called Loveshy. And Loveshy was not heavily moderated. And because of that, it became the home of angry misogyny that is common in a world full of patriarchy. And I mean, that makes sense. Like, when you don't moderate these things, this is the shit that usually comes out. 
Uh, you get a bunch of angry young men. Uh, they could not get a date. And very we will see the rise of a toxic environment. You saw the same thing in 4chan. You say any type of group that's less moderated, this is the shit that happens. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so this is why I'm always like the idea of like free speech on the internet. I'm just like, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> it's, we need to actually like curb some of that stuff as well too. Like I, I'm not a free speech absolutist because of stuff like this, because as soon as things don't get moderated, this shit just comes out into the open and we get, things like the toxic incel community right <sighs> there's not enough like systemic support for people to actually like that type of like figuring out that alana did or whatever where she mm -hmm. just kind of naturally came to this nice conclusion that led her to more confidence that led her to kind of like dealing with the issues that she needed to deal with right mm -hmm. um like, no one is doing that work. <laughs> no. That is no. in these chats. Like, people are not going to therapy. They're not, you know, going through whatever, like, research bouts they need to, whatever, to kind of get into some some writing, some some mind opening that will actually get them to be able to look at themselves yeah. and figure out what they need to do. Not saying that everything is their fault, but just, no. you know, having some skin in the game in terms of, like, being able to, like, yeah, yeah. grow. You know, um, we don't there's have work that. to be done, right? Like there's, there's work yeah. to be done. And also like, yeah, not even just, not even just the work, just the idea that like other groups, like especially women are not, this is not their fault. Like this is just something that society, you have to deal with society, unfortunately. And Hey, that's something that to think about as well too. So I don't know. Um, so of course, Love Shy was not the only website that provided this kind of toxic environment. This is around the rise of the social media and Web 2.0. Uh, and forums like Reddit and 4chan got a chance to spread the incel messages along with many Manosphere messaging around that time. So these two websites were famous, just like Loveshy, to be more of a place of free speech and less moderating. Reddit specifically had a lot of subreddits dedicated to incel messaging, including our incels, our brain cells, and our forever alone. In 2017, all these subreddits were banned from Reddit. At the time of the banning of our incels, it had... 40,000 members. It's a pretty big uh, subreddit. Yeah. So, what do these modern incel people believe in? Well, they believe in this weird biological perspective of relationships uh, that most of the attractive guys, who they call the shads, which are about 20% of them in the population, are going to get the attention of 80% of the women. The most attractive of these women, the Stacys, uh, they will have sex with these shads. Classic. <laughs> uh, these things. <laughs> yeah. The rest of the guys, well, they are cucks, normies, betas, etc. Um, the bottom of those guys, they're the insults. And those men, they're angry. And the websites feed their anger. Here's a typical post from the insult.co, an insult website that popped up after Reddit banned our insults. Quote, our whole lives, we've had to endure the pain of being so physically repulsive to females that they never even consider us giving us a chance. We're actually so genetically inferior that they hate us. They need to suffer, writes another incel.co poster. Their hypocrisy is a crime punishable by torture for the rest of their slutty lives. End quote. Incel.co. In yeah. 2014, as we mentioned before, Elliot Rogers went on a killing spree and blamed this lack of relationships as proof that people needed to suffer. We talked about Rogers before in a previous episode. Rogers became something of a saint for the incels. Rogers was seen as someone who took the black pill. Quote, you see, when we talked about the red pill before, 
this perversion of the matrix and how we need to see the world like it really is. Um, as we talked about again, last episode in Reddit lore, the blue pill represents mainstream feminism, but the red pill is supposed to represent the anti-feminist truth that men are really the most oppressed in society. And feminism is about female superiority rather than equal rights. So what is the black pill? This is noted by Quartz. That makes my blood boil. <laughs> yes. No, especially, yeah. by the way, that and I talked about this before, that The Matrix was created by two trans women. <laughs> and this is supposed to be an allegory about uh, being a, a trans person, was the idea of the red pill and the Wait, blue pill. Wait, did I know? What? The Wachowskis? Yeah. 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 Yeah, they they used to be uh, identified as men when they created the Matrix, and now they're women. So yeah, wow, I am living under a rock. I had no idea. Wow, yeah, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Oh shit. <laughs> I know. You see, like I know you can't see this, but Samantha's face is just yeah. Like, my, I'm very like, <laughs> your whole thing. <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like yeah. the emoji with the head blowing You're up like, just, like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. I'm so glad to give you this news. That's <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, like like Lana Wachowski has made me very clear when the especially to Trumpers about the red pill being and just like reported like replying to them is like, no, this is the reason why <laughs> the Matrix has nothing to do with you. Yeah. Like just co-opting, <laughs> making it in your own, and then being like, We weren't given this isn't even yours. This isn't even yours. What are you doing here? Anyway, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Anyways, the black pill is noted by Quartz. Meanings that seeing the whole system is broken and the only solution is to refuse to engage with it at all. This is in contrast to seeking to take advantage of women through psychological manipulation as advocated by many of those in the red pill and pickup artist communities. So this is basically, it was like, we're giving up. This is not, we're not doing anything about it. Like, we're not going to try to take advantage or, like, try to play the game, as quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. We're just, this is, like, society has broken us, basically, what the black pill means. Hmm. Through this specific ideology, you will note the dangerous idea of a loss of control. And loss of control means you're able to do anything, including murder. There have been murders and assaults attributed to the idea of sexual frustration, like Chris Harper Mercer, who killed nine people, including himself in Oregon, or people like Sheldon Bentley, who identified as an incel in 2016, who killed an unconscious man in Edmonton, Alberta, my community. Roger was just the most famous. And the most famous copycat killing or even, quote, honoring of Rogers was Alex Manassian in 2018, who killed 10 people and injured 16 in Toronto for the Toronto ban attack. Alex, who mentioned he was going to do an incel rebellion and prided the, quote, Supreme Gentleman, Elliot Rogers, who, by the way, the reason why the Supreme Gentleman quote came from, because it came from Elliot Rogers' suicide note. He said that women would not date someone like himself, a Supreme Gentleman. Um, that's why he called them the Supreme Gentleman, Elliot Rogers. There is a great long for podcast called Boys Like Me, uh, done by the CBC, which highlights the Manassian attacks and would recommend everyone to kind of listen to it. It's really, really good. It's from the perspective of somebody who knowed Alex as a kid and as a young person <clears throat> and how he had the same kind of thoughts and ideas of frustration uh, at the time and how Alex went one way and he went another way. Mm. And so it's really an interesting podcast if you are ever wanting to know about the, the Toronto van attacks in further detail. 
The issue that we're seeing now is that misogynist attacks are not new. Many people have died because of some outrage towards feminism or women in general. However, what we see today is that anyone who's described as a virgin or sexually frustrated may be labeled as an insult. And people who are incel will be happy to claim them because of this nihilistic view of the black pill. It's a tricky idea to get around because we land in danger of putting all misogynistic attacks into the bucket of incels. It's something that we have to keep an eye out for the coming years because, as you can see, misogyny, especially from groups of men, comes in many forms. Sorry, you choked your head when you said that. Well, that when you said that, you know, pe uh, people who are incel will happily claim them, it made me think of, like, how, like, ISIS was, like, claiming whatever terrorist attacks. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, that was us. Good job, guys. And it's like, yo, like, that is so dangerous. Mm -hmm. It's so dangerous. I shook my head in particular, though, um, with this idea of the supreme gentleman, because I'm mm -hmm. like, I'm sorry, did we change the meaning of gentleman? Because you definitely said that you were the supreme gentleman and then you went and killed people. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I don't really know. Mm -hmm. I, I think the thing that frustrates me with this, and I think that that's the thing where I was like, you know, all these black manosphere spaces, like the incel spaces, like this externalization of anger mm -hmm. like i'm not advocating for people to be depressed and to turn the anger toward themselves right but i am advocating for them to pursue their own healing yes like pursue your healing yes right absolutely. because i feel like one of the things this quote that you said our whole our whole lives we've had to endure the pain of being so physically repulsive to females that they never even consider they never even consider giving us a chance because they're so genetically inferior supposedly but then the females need to suffer, sweetheart. Mm -hmm. Why do I need to suffer? Because you consider yourself repulsive. Like, and also, I think that the thing that's like kind of interesting um, about this is that there are so many women out there who want to date. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm a woman. Trust me, I know. There are so <laughs> many women out there who want to date. They just want to date like, like a nice guy or, yeah. or at least the hetero ones. The, you know, they just want to date a nice guy who's nice, who'll treat them with yeah. love and, and respect, respect yeah. <laughs> and just won't make them feel like they need to be dominated all the time in yep. order for them to feel like a man. Like, that's all. Yeah. That's it. Totally. But you're coming in here and none of that. And I think that this this actually highlights um, a couple of weeks ago on Cold Takes, we were talking about, you see the, the Rise of Lonely Men, that article that everybody yeah. was like yeah. piping up about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and it's like in the article, you've got the dude who's saying, I mean, there are a lot of things that were in there that were some really nice gold nuggets. But like one of the things that he said is like, you know, when you think about when you talk to women about like dating profiles or whatever, and I'm not saying that this is all women, but they're looking for a partner who will meet them where they're at, who will be good to them and who will be supportive. That is what they're looking for. Like. Number one, yeah. right? Obviously, if you're dating somebody, you want to have some marginal, like, attraction to them. Sure. But most people understand that's not what's going to take you through. That's not what's going to take you through. And I feel like <clears throat> this is just another piece of aggrieved entitlement of, mm -hmm. like, women are just supposed to want me. I don't... Like, they don't need to like me. They just need to want me so that I can acquire one. And yeah. I feel like, and just one last tangent. Yeah, there was go this for video. It. Oh, my God. There was this video on TikTok. Herman. I really hope it's the one that, that I'm that I'm thinking about, too. But go ahead. Go ahead. I want to oh, okay. know if it's because I was thinking about a TikTok video, too. But go ahead. I want to tell, okay. tell me what it is. 
So did you see the one, there's this woman who basically is talking about, like, she's talking about her friend who went on a date with this guy. Mm-hmm. And basically, um, he's like, said something or whatever. And she's like, ah, I don't really think that we're, you know, a match uh, based on whatever. And he's like, oh, but, you know, he like starts to like name off like some of his characteristics or whatever that like she might like. And she was like, no, like, I don't really think that, like we're a match. Like I don't think that this is gonna work. <laughs> right. And for him, it was more about. And she was kind of like, and this woman who like talking about her friend is like talking about how she doesn't really feel like a lot of times men care if women like them. Yeah. Like I'm just like they're just trying to put themselves in a better position than the next dude to get you to like acquire yeah. you. It doesn't have anything to do with you actually liking them. And I don't know. It's not like the, it was like surprising to hear, but for some reason I had never heard it put in that way mm-hmm. and I feel like it blows everything wide open in terms of like the trophy piece the rape culture piece it's like they don't care what women want you know or at least this sector mm-hmm. they don't care what women want they don't care that women no. love them like them whatever they just want one they want to be able to just have one and it's that's like, exactly it that's exactly exactly it yeah. but somehow you're one like you're, you don't think you think it's weird that a woman wouldn't want that Mm-hmm. Like, why would I not want to be with somebody who doesn't give a shit that I like them, that I care about them, that whatever? They just want me to be there as like a possession. Like, why would women in 2022 not want that? Like, how? Like, yes. I don't. I'm like, why? Why would any woman not want that for herself? Like, mm-hmm. what? Oh, mm-hmm. I forgot. It's because women are people. Women yeah, just, and that's it's that's just you know the idea. No. That's the idea. That's 100 percent the idea. Is that that women are not humans they're they're not people with emotion they're not people and you're right like this idea of like <laughs> it's it, it's just getting a woman it's just having sex and that's it there's Ugh. no emotional intimacy about this there's no idea of like hey i want to be in a relationship with this person because i like them maybe we grow together as a couple no it's not that it has nothing to do with that it is 100 possession it is 100% I want to have because I see others having it. It's not this idea of happiness. It's not this idea of of self-fulfillment or self-wellness. It is just this idea of possession. And yeah. it, 100%. And it is not like, yeah, I because if it isn't about possession, then you would have people like Alana who's like, I am looking to be happy. I'm looking for self-fulfillment in the sense that I feel good about myself. And for her, her, like her message was just like, you need to start feeling good about yourself before you can start feeling good about others. Mm -hmm. And that is such an important and deep lesson. And these people, all they do is they don't lift each other up. They pull each other down. And that's what these communities are doing. They're just, they're being like, no, everything is bad. And this this nihilistic view that nothing will be good because of how you look and how what you do is ridiculous. And yeah, the last thing I wanted to say was that because I was thinking of a TikTok video and that this, this this thought that you had was like women are just looking towards for for people who are just um just be kind of not even just be nice to them but just like just kind of treat them as humans as like uh, like complex people. That's it, really. Just <laughs> like a whole person, a yeah. whole human being. Just a person. I saw this TikTok video of this woman who was like, uh, he's like, man, he's like, isn't it great when you have like your boyfriend or somebody like your like your partner would and just text you and ask, you know, 
how's your day today? And people are like, is that it? Is that the is that the barrier that we need to cross? And I'm just like, it is so fucking low. <laughs> it is so low. Yeah. This woman was so happy because her boyfriend was like, just asked like, hi, hey, how's oh, how's your day today? Herman, 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 Herman. I have so many stories like that from the woman's fear. I'm just kidding. Not the woman's fear. Just being just a woman, woman in general. general. Yeah. One of my best friends, actually, um, well, let me not out that. One of my friends mm-hmm. uh, went on a date and like some some guy did something hella mundane that was like just nice. Mm-hmm. And she described it to one of her guy friends. And he was like, really? <laughs> and he was like telling her how he's dating, how he was dating this this woman at the time. And she was like, she just gets happy whenever I do like anything, like the smallest nice thing. Mm-hmm. She's so happy. Yeah. And I'm like, y'all don't understand what we have been dealing with. You guys don't understand what it's like dealing with dudes that have this whole, like, I'm a nice guy. I'm a nice guy. And then goes and calls themselves a supreme gentleman and goes and kills 10 people mm-hmm. because nobody wanted mm-hmm. the day. I'm like, mm-hmm. that is like, of course, that's the extreme or whatever. But you don't know what it's like dealing with the bottom of that pyramid day in, day out. That's a lot of men out here. Mm-hmm. A lot. Mm-hmm. 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 And unfortunately, it's something that I can really do a lot, That's awful. you know, and it's it, it's it is. Yeah. yeah, it's just. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that that yeah. piece about the rise of of, of like yeah. of like lonely guys. I'm just like, yeah, no, just, just people just want to be treated like humans. How is that fucking hard to understand? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. It's so. Uh, yeah. Anyways. Um, yeah. So after uh, a female spa worker was stabbed to death in 2020 in Toronto, the Toronto Police Department labeled this act as incel terrorism. So from Global News, in a joint statement, the RCMP and Toronto Police Services said their investigations had determined the attack was, quote, inspired by the ideologically motivated violent extremist movement commonly known as incel. As a result, federal and provincial attorney generals have consented to commence terrorism proceedings, alleging that the murder was terrorist activity and the attempted murder was terrorist activity. So this was the first time Canada's anti-terrorism laws have been used to prosecute a suspect who was not an Islamist extremist. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In a political, yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a really good move to call these terrorist attacks. In a political story in 2018, after the Toronto van attack, they interviewed Alana uh, to bring it all back to ask about not only the website but her thoughts on the movement as it is. So from the article, quote. You might imagine Alana would want to salvage incel, but she says she's no interest in trying to rescue a term now so firmly associated with a hateful men's movement. The search for love is still there, she says. There are a lot of people who are lonely, having trouble with dating, and there's no friendly, neutral word for people who are lonely for love in that way. Incel might have served that purpose 20 years ago, but is now beyond reclamation. Mm-hmm. Alana started another project to connect other incels and combat hate. It's called Love Not Anger. You can find it at www.lovenotanger.org. You check that out. Alana, woof. I know. Shout out to you. I'm <laughs> sorry that you. this happened. Yes, yeah, seriously. <laughs> You're just trying to do something good. Oh, damn. damn. Imagine if you're like, yeah. all you're doing is trying to just help people and then someone just takes it and fills it into a terrorist activity. Like, <laughs> seriously. Seriously. She's like, I was just trying to find love. I wanted to talk to other people who were having trouble finding love. Um, 
Do you think that incels underneath it all are trying to find love? I feel like I know the answer to this, but no, they're not. Like, what do you think they're looking for? I think you hit upon it perfectly before. Like this, they're looking for social credit. I think they're looking Mm. for this idea that they, it's the the idea of what we talked about before was this idea of the American dream, right? Like Mm -hmm. the idea that um, you can have a a partner or a wife, you can have the white picket fence, you can have the home, but you were lied to. Not everyone Mm -hmm. can have that. Right. And they're mad about it. Right. And that's the idea is that where's this anger going towards? It's not going towards helping yourself. It's not going towards helping others. It's just going towards, to make sure that everyone could have that or try to have that, that sense of love, that sense of happiness and whatever they, that they feel is just, they see others having this and they're mad that they don't have it. And I, I think it's th- what they want is they want social credit and they think having a woman would give them social credit and they don't have it. That's, that's what I think it is. I don't know. What mm-hmm. do you think? Um, I think it's that. I, I'm thinking about like what's underneath this social credit thing. Like what what is it that social credit would provide them? Like why is it that they want that so badly? And I think hmm. I think that they want to be heard. You know, I think that part of the aggrieved entitlement piece, I think, which I think um Kimmel touches on in the book, is that there is pain and suffering, right? Like these people are upset. Like I I as somebody who I'm I'm in a happy and loving relationship now, but as somebody who, you know, I had I, I had an Alana period of my life for mm-hmm. a long time. Mm-hmm. And so I, to, I totally relate to that. Me too. You know? Me too. Honestly, me too. Yeah, go on. Yeah. So it's like, I feel like, you know, I, I get the piece of like wanting love, especially if you're romantic or if you if you come from, you know, a specific context where like, you know, the people that you were around your family were maybe, maybe took care of you, but maybe weren't as loving or whatever is needed. Like I get that. And I feel like part of what happens with the, 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 certainly the grief, like the aggrieved part of like the aggrieved entitlement is the fact that somewhere, some way, at some point, someone was harmed, was with, it was either harmed, unheard, or dominated, mm-hmm. kind of put in a box, put in a place where they felt like they were not as valued as other people. And I have a lot of compassion for that. And I have a lot of like respect for that. And so I feel like underneath that vitriol and that hate, like what is it that they feel hasn't been heard? Right. 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 Like what is it that they think like, okay, me having a girl, me having a wife, me having a woman or whatever, like, what part of you would that actually quell besides the being able to have the social credit for it? Like, what mm-hmm. is it that you're actually looking for that for? Because if it's power and domination, you got to look at that. Yep. Like, why do you not feel powerful? Why do you feel like you have to dominate people in order to feel powerful? Like, I think that that's for me when I think about the performance of masculinity and not just by men, you know, but everywhere around the, on the gender spectrum, like that performance of kind of the alpha, like dominant type of personality. It's like, wh- like, why is that required for you in order for you to feel good? Mm-hmm. And I think that that conversation, I mean, you know, like we've talked about, I think at various points, you know, throughout this kind of like masculinity conversation, it's like that conversation seldom happened. It yeah. seldom happens for women. 
Mm-hmm. As much as we always say, I think like we always kind of compare whatever because of the, you know, the conversation that we're in and stuff like that's not something that as humans, we are, we have a lot of conversation about eventually through friend groups or whatever you might get there. But that's a very deep conversation to have yep. totally for is. men. If you're not even people, I mean, guys are talking about they don't have any friends. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? They're, they're talking about the only people they could talk to you or their or their significant other. If that significant other is a is a as a feminine person or whatever, there's already that kind of like weird power dynamic that you're trying to kind of like work out. Mm-hmm. The whole shit gets lost. So it's, you know, I, I have a lot of compassion for yeah. that. I don't, but to, to, you know, to go to the, compa- to the accountability part, that is never an excuse to harm anyone. No, no. Physically, no. financially, verbally, that is never an excuse. That's, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah, no, I know. I totally agree with that. That idea of, of um, like, kind of like we've all kind of been there. I feel like a lot of people have been there in the sense mm-hmm. of like sometimes this pit of like I'm never going to find somebody or you see other people that are <clears throat> pairing off and all of a sudden you're like, where, where's my partner? Where's the per- person that I love? And and then you had those thoughts. Absolutely. I've had those thoughts too, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like this is very relatable honestly this is very like mm. especially for young people especially for somebody who's in their teens especially for somebody who is like rogers was in his teens i think he was 19 when it happened right manassian was in his early 20s like these are people who are not older they're they're in this idea of like like shaping their own identity and this is a part of it this is a big part of it this is not something that is like this idea of like struggling through relationships or your your relationship with relationships i think that is important to try to figure out and it is important that we support young people specifically young boys into thinking about that they need to find inner inner peace before they start working towards finding a relationship for others Mm because the more inner peace the more self self wellness you have within you not only is it easier for you to relate to somebody else? But also, like, in general, you're just going to look more attractive. <laughs> you're just going to look attractive for more oh people, right? <laughs> An <laughs> like emotionally it's... collected person. My goodness. I know. My goodness. Oh. Right. It's yeah. such a, it's it's like, it's a double win, right? It's just like, you would, you would want to put out this so much positive energy into this world. And people are attracted to that. They're, they're usually naturally attracted to positive energy. And it's, we, like I said before, I think we need people to start pulling people up and encouraging them to pr- pursue this idea of like self-wellness and self-identification. And also you can connect things systemically because, yes, you're absolutely right. There's systemic ideas. There's ideas of body image, like Alana mentioned, ideas of body body image. There's there's idea of this quote unquote beauty myth, like like this idea that, um you know, we have this dance of intimacy, like the book also mentioned, like. Yes, there's this there's this role that that men and women sometimes have to play in society. And yeah, breaking out of those roles is really hard. And sometimes you do have to play that game sometimes. However, you have to be you have to know those things before you can start breaking them. And also you have to know mm-hmm. that within yourself, what is my place in those place in those things too, right? So mm-hmm. it is it's not easy. I have definitely been there. There's been many people who have been there. We need to start helping each other through those things and not pulling them down. And I think the issue is that these communities start pulling people down into nihilistic views that 
nothing's going to work. Not, you're always going to be this way. And also this weird biological determinism that just because you're ugly, you will never find anybody else, which is profoundly untrue. <laughs> like, profoundly like so untrue. untrue. Yeah. So untrue. Yeah. 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 yeah, I have seen many people who are not quote unquote classically beautiful that have found fulfilling, fulfilling and very like uh, important and fulfilling relationships with others. Mm -hmm. That is, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's a, it's a lie, mm -hmm. and yeah, it's it's always this perpetuating of this lie. <laughs> yes, and kind of more on the shallow tip. Like, I feel like a lot of, you know, conversations around, like, ugliness, it's like, that shit's not real, dude. Yeah. Like, that is not real. That is, like, a question of style more so than anything. It's a yeah. com question of of confidence. confidence. It's a question yeah. of whatever. It's, it's, it's different. So there's, like, a lot of stuff there, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but the other thing I wanted to say was also that a lot of things you mentioned is, like, how, how positivity is captivating or alluring or attractive or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, like, what positivity looks like through the lens of masculinity, because I feel like usually things that are considered positive, po positive, positive, positive when positive, it comes yeah. to <laughs> when it comes to um, to men and like um, masculinity, the performance of masculinity or like, um, you know, uh, masculine presenting people in general it's always having to do with some sort of shrink, some sort of like physical power mm -hmm, or power mm -hmm, over mm -hmm. or nope, like killing it. Like there's always some sort of like aggression that goes with positivity, you know? Um, and I'm like, what does it look like for positivity to thrive within a masculine context? Understanding that all of this shit is made up because what is even yeah. a masculine context? But, <laughs> yeah. I hear what you're saying like, though. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that doesn't require aggression or or domination or smashing something, killing right. it, what, whatever it is, yeah. you know, like, yeah. what does that yeah. look like? That's a good question. I feel like that's like, that's like a whole episode. <laughs> right. Or providing for yeah. that matter. Yeah. You know? No, seriously. Yeah. I think it's, it's a really good question. I think it's, you have a really good point about like, what does it actually look like? And I think as men or masculine presenting people is we need to start really when we talk about, defining different types of masculinities i think this is a big part of it is like mm -hmm. this idea that um we can be attractive in many different ways and what does that actually mean providing this idea of positivity to others like to me personally it's just like if people start supporting others like if you see somebody who's like genuinely like happy is able to like really listen to others like lift them up and also like i've had many people that like I don't want to I don't want to pat myself in the back here, but like I I've had many people where it's just like, like all I all I did was just listen to their story and people were like, wow, that is amazing. I've never had that before. Like, and and honestly, I didn't feel like I was doing a whole lot. It was just like, just I was just there and and I was just paying attention. And that's and I've had like like other people that was like that were like, yeah, like I felt in a sense not attracted to you but i felt like there's a sense of like good like att not attracted to you physically it was just more of like i'm attracted to this person mm -hmm. being around them right like and mm -hmm. i think that that's always giving them a good energy and i think that's 
don't know. I think that's a big part of it. <laughs> it's just making other people feel more human and just feel happy. <laughs> you yeah. know? Being a kind person. Like, I feel like there's like an mm -hmm. emphasis on like the nice guy or whatever. You know, I mean, I still like the whole idea of Supreme Gentleman is still kind of like right in my throat because I'm like, <laughs> how the fuck you call yourself an extreme gentleman in the same breath and you go in, but whatever. Um, yeah. But I think, yeah, because it's kindness. Yeah. It's kindness being able to relate to people as humans, right? Rather than like doing things as a means to an end, yeah. you know? And I feel no. like that's that's kind of like, you know, that's removed, I think, from, you know, this notion of like, the different ways that like incels a lot of time, I mean, I've spent a lot of time on like incel, like, um, like chats and discussion boards and things mm -hmm. like that. So I have an idea of the kind of thing that they say. And I feel like, you know, it's all about doing something nice that you get something nice in return. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't really have to do with like connection, like human connection, no. you know, vulnerability, like really being there for somebody, you mm -hmm. know? Um, but yeah, yeah, again, that requires a, a level of self-reflection and time yes. with like the wellness and mental health as well. Yes. Mental wellness. Yes. Uh, mental, to be able to get yeah, there. It's so. very like self, this is self wellness kind of thing too. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyways, I want to, we have one last thing to, to the part that we, that we want to talk about. And this is this, I, I really would love your, your full like comments on this and just your, okay. your thoughts on this all. Cause we're going to talk about the black manosphere next. Uh, oh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. So the Proud Boys and the Incels, like I mentioned, not the only men's group around at this time, uh, nor were they the most dangerous. However, they are the ones that get the most attention and the media, and I think they're the most visible. Uh, the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville in 2018, which killed one person and injured others, really showed uh, how far a lot of the right-wing groups have come. Uh, going into anti-Semitism, white supremacy, sexism, and many racist taboos that people have been trying to sweep under the rug for a long time under the title of alt-right. As noted on this podcast, this has been a slippery slope from quite some time. This is not a flashpoint. This is a simmering pot that went to a boil. And the boiling pot, the boiling point for Americans came in January 6th, storming of the Capitol building to stop the results of a federal election. <laughs> Many people have talked about this. I don't need to go through it again. So because of this, <clears throat> in February in 2021, Canada designated the Proud Boys as a terrorist entity. A lot of people ask what happened to the manosphere of the early 2000s and early 2010s right now. Well, a lot of them went to either incel ideologies, running to places like the Proud Boys, or their terminologies being used in other groups. So take, for instance, the growing movement of the Black Manosphere. In an article from Elle magazine titled My Brush of the Black Manosphere, the writer went on to, the, to a date with somebody who started using terms that she didn't understand and asked him no. to explain. Have you read this article? I sure have. Yeah, it's a good yeah, one. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Quote, King explained that I, have, that I was behaving in a masculine way when I invited him to meet me for a date instead of waiting for him to ask me. Claimed it was a biological fact that in any romantic relationship, someone who is cisgendered and male, of course, needed to dominate the other, and feminism was a force that had only served to divide the black community and alienate black men. Mm -hmm. The Black Manosphere, as explained by the Black Youth Project, was, quote, formed out of a notable goal, but at the cost of a vulnerable population. It seeks to uplift black men, but does so by demeaning black women. It takes advantage of one of the major blind spots of the many men's movement, the intersection of race and gender. This is the idea that we 
that men's movement have ignored race in general has been a common theme of a lot of the episodes that I've talked about. And I feel personally that the black manosphere has taken advantage of that being kind of like adding in to this void because other people, pro-feminist people specifically were, did not talk about the idea of race. And so this toxic idea of race and masculinity kind of like uh, sprouted out because mm -hmm. of this. This is my mm -hmm. running theory <laughs> of this. Um, Doreen St. Felix notes in the New Yorker in 2018 that black men are invested not to return to those gender roles like we had before, but to gain them and to gain privilege like white men. From the Black Youth Project so article weird. titled, We Need to Talk About the Black Manosphere, Quote, the black manosphere, on the other hand, demands solutions to the things that they see as problems. But when assessing dating culture, the black manosphere insists that black women are to blame for almost everything wrong with dating and the black culture in general. While some commentators disagree, the majority of members consistently allege that black women have poor taste in men after going after Pookie and Ray Ray caricatures of black men with thuggish behaviors. They accuse single mothers of coddling their sons who then fail to live independently. Women want to be fucking tame. Well, the feminine women, not the masculine motherfucker, not these feminists, but the, the, the feminine women want a man that's keep them motherfucking in check. 32 year old man is not the same as a 32 year old woman. I, agree. I know some of you guys don't I might not so. like hearing that, but typically Damn. as women age, they lose their value. The problem is today, far too many of you women think you're special. You're not special. You're just a woman. What do you think about all this? I don't even know where to start, but um, I agree with everything. Uh, I think during St. Felix, shout out to her, by the way, she's an excellent writer. I read mm -hmm. all her articles in The New Yorker. But um, one of the things that there's so many things to say here, but one of the things mainly that I want to say about this is that when people talk about Black women dating Black men, mm -hmm. They frequently say that they're making poor choices, right? You're choosing the wrong dude. Like, there's so many. It's the same shit, mm -hmm. honestly, as, the you know, the kind of, like, white insult conversation where it's right. like, I'm a nice dude. I can't believe you're dating this thug or dating this XYZ or whatever. Like, you right, should be right, dating right. a nice guy, blah, blah, blah. But then, so then it's like, okay, so then when women start, so there's a lot of, like, have you heard of, like, the divest, like, movement or whatever? No. Tell okay. me more. So there's like a movement of like, I mean, I've heard about the black women piece of it. I'm not sure if there's like other, you know, ethnicities that are also doing this, but there's like this whole movement of like women divesting basically from relationships with men because they're like, fuck dudes, we're overdues, we don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> Which sure. I, I'm, I try to stay away from all extremist kind of forms of right. whatever because Very I don't radical. feel like there are any answers there. Exactly, yeah. radical, thank you. Um, but I, there's a point. Right. Mm -hmm. I get I get it. I get mm -hmm. it because I'm like. You have to deal with I think that people forget often and this is something I think a lot about that outside of illness. The number one cause of death for women in general is their partners killing them or like mm -hmm. black or, or like men killing them. Mm -hmm. That is yep. that is that is consistent across all ethnicities. Mm -hmm. So. When people say like, oh, I'm not trying to be around dudes anymore, a lot for a lot of them, that's like a safety decision. 
They don't want to get into it because a lot of people were like, oh, well, you need to pick better men. I don't think that people are going into comp- into um, relationships with people thinking that they're going to leave them to take care of their child by themselves. Something that I that I, who, who, I know many people in that situation who they were in love, have the baby, let's be together, blah, blah, blah. Right. And then now, you know, um, they're not going into it thinking that they're going to be harmed. I have a really good friend, like rest in peace, whose um, mother-in-law was killed by her husband. Mm. And that is someone who was like hanging out with all their grandkids, like literally mm. two weeks before. And then they just found out that he killed her and then wow. killed his her son-in-law. Wow. So it's just like these these things that happen. It's like one of the that was kind of one of the main reasons why I wanted to like really kind of be in this conversation is like mm-hmm. there's so much harm because of this, right? Mm-hmm. And so when women are choosing this, take a step back and being like, no, there's a lot of conversation about women being happy by themselves right now. Then dudes are like, well, you're not going to be happy without a without a dude and like, oh, you know, what do you think your degrees are going to do for you? Whatever. It's like, it's like damned if you do, damned if you don't. Mm-hmm. But damned if you don't, at least you'll be safe. Exactly. Right? At least yep. you're not going to totally. get killed by totally. your partner because he gets pissed at you. You know what I mean? So that's the first thought I have about it. Mm-hmm. I have many more, but that's the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. When you mention this. No, sure. that's a really good point. That's a really good point. Yeah. Especially the idea of safety. Just like like taking away yourself from specific movements just for your own safety. And I totally understand that. And I think that's it's very good to think about this when we're talking about this. Mm-hmm. So some of the most popular Black Manosphere movements is a term called SYSBM or Save Yourself Black Men, which is an ideological it was an which is an ideology in which encourages black men to date white women. Uh, what? <laughs> yes. I've definitely not heard about this. Oh wow! So this intersects with the pickup artistry community, where you hear the words like hypergamy or high value men. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hear a lot about this. A lot of the ideas are taken from the original manosphere, but given a specific twist to not blame not only women in feminism but black women in particularly. So this is according to a historian. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I know. <laughs> go ahead. Which go ahead, is Samantha. it? You know yeah. what I mean? Is 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 feminism is is feminism like uh, an evil tool like used oh, yes. by white women to like brainwash black women, or is it <laughs> like like where you know what I mean? Because I yes. feel like that's a, that's a big argument from like this kind of like cohort of folks. It's like. <laughs> You know, feminism has twisted your mind. These white women, blah blah blah. Oh, but now you're go trying to go and date white women. The people with the feminism, like I don't. Yeah. Like which is it? Yeah. You know? I know it's 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 messed up. It's really Bonkers. really messed up. It's a it's messed bonkers. up like thought process. Um, oh jeez. So this is according to historian and PhD candidate Aaron G. Fountain. Uh, the Black Manosphere began when a black MRA named. Mumia Obsidian Ali started writing in the MRA website A Voice for Men, oh God, A Voice for Men, and Return of the Kings, uh, run by Rushvi, a pickup artist, in the mid-2010s. He then launched a radio show and then became a flood of websites and content, especially on YouTube. The Black Manosphere will blame almost everything on Black women and mostly because of the sense of grievance of being left out of the conversation. As Ali notes in the L piece, quote, Black women as a group have long enjoyed a megaphone to air out their grievances, much of it, not all of it, concerning black men. And I got tired of being left out of the conversation. And unlike the white manosphere, there's a specific link in grievance around black liberation and how black liberation is being halted by black women. 
and a lot of them find either advice on being confident and connecting with women or even things like finance. However, it's not the same camaraderie of community that, that places like the MRA or even incel communities have. Fountain mentions that, quote, the group spends much of his attention on black women, but black men who don't fit its definition of manhood, often referred as maggles, find themselves in its crossfire as well. Creators who disagree hurl homophobic slurs at each other, mock physical appearances, and accuse their critics of lacking an active sex life or having an unattractive partner. This is very typical of masculinity shit. Very typical of your life. You don't, if you don't agree to the level of, of masculinity, well, you're going to be uh, F-A-G word or you're going to be B-word or whatever the case is. This is whatever. Very typical. This is a holdover yeah. of the precarious masculinity theory where you have to question each other's masculinity to gain masculinity a form mm -hmm. of toxic masculinity in itself. And in this case, they're very close to the white manosphere. As Fountain noted that when he talked to one of the creators, he says, quote, they have conservative views, are misogynistic, homophobic, transphobic, and racist, even against themselves. However, as noted again by the history of the men's liberation movement and other movements in itself, black men or other men of color usually don't have a space at the table of these conversations. This has been a major blind spot for a lot of groups the space for black men to talk about their own issues is vitally important and they need to be a part of any community that calls itself a liberation of gender roles. Also, all men need to heed the warning and signs of movements that say they're helping others but become toxic themselves. Through the install movements, we saw that the lack of moderation and guidance became the ultimate disaster for them. Through the Proud Boys, we learned not to take the casual racism, so-called ironic racism of people like Gavin McInnes lightly as well as providing spaces for men to connect in a way that's meaningful to them. And for the black manosphere, well, Aaron Fountain can tell you the warning signs. Quote, Black men deserve, even need, a space to talk about their issues. But the black manosphere is a perversion of that space, selling retrograde patriarchal ideas under the promise of community around black masculinity. Content creators hide their identities, create their alter egos, bathe in victimhood, and allege that any critiques of their per per pernicious philosophies are an attack on black men. You're, spot you're on. nodding your head. Yeah. <laughs> spot on. That's it. That's spot on. Yeah. What, what do you think about this idea that um, black men have been kind of shut away of this conversation about gender roles and whatnot? Well, I, so, I mean, I sort of agree. I mean, I'm black, right? So like, <laughs> I feel like, you know, I hear those conversations because I'm within my community and I, and I know that they happen. I think maybe on like on, on the mainstream um, I could see that. I think that it's all about this. I hate using this word because I feel like it's a, a, a fake word. Okay. But I feel like if we were to kind of abide by, you know, um, like patriarchal standards for a while, for a second, I would say that like this, like, quote unquote, emasculation of black men by white men throughout history has led us here, right? There's always right. this kind of like, I mean, it's racism, basically. Yeah, it's, it's, racism. It's, it's absolutely it's racism. 100%. Yeah. So it's like, you know, racism, this is kind of like the way that racism shakes out. And I feel like, you know, there's a there's a, a level of masculinity, if you will, that, you know, to some degree because of marginalization and oppression, you know, black men are not able to reach as compared to white men. Now, of course, that level of power like exists within kind of the context of dominating, right? Like what mm -hmm. level of domination are you at? And I feel like that's the thing that I take issue with, mm -hmm. which is that, you know, when people are talking about, for example, 
talk a lot about like, you know, the black family, you know, like the mm -hmm. kind of like the hotep on the hotep side of things, the black family sure. and how that's kind of like the, you know, the the way that the, the you know, the black community will ascend and all of this. And that's the reason why we're not right. where we need to be. And it's like that is predicated on the fact that a man will be leading not only within your family, but also will get together with other men of other families to lead a community, which will then get together with other men leaders of communities to have mm -hmm. a movement or whatever that next kind of group level is. So it's like inherent within that is simply more of this male domination that is exclusive and that everybody is supposed to abide by now because of racism that like thought process, that theory, that school of thought gains a lot of traction, right? Because mm -hmm. it's like, okay, here's mm -hmm. the solution that we can actively all participate into that will actually get us to a place that we want to be at. Then when we get there, we could talk about the gay folks. Well, when we get there, we could That's talk right. about the trans But first, let's focus on this nuclear, like this, mm -hmm. this nuclear black family that's going to take us to the promised land and like raise the community. You know what I mean? And I feel like black women with our independence and our thought and our opinions are like throwing a wrench in that because we want to be independent people who get treated as whole folks and like are just treated well and not killed and whatever. Yeah. And so we're throwing a big wrench into that. Um, that's sort of... Yeah, that's sort of... I, 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 I kind of went somewhere. I'm not really sure what your original question was, but that's basically that's okay. what it made me think of. No, I think, I think you are dead on with this idea that um, when we have these specific movements, and it's it's happened all throughout history, right? Like, when we had the suffragist movement, black women were put on the sidelines. Like, yeah, no, we, we gotta get the rights to vote, and then we can help you. And then... But this happens throughout history, right? Yep. When we have these kind of civil right movements. And it only happens when we have that actual marginalized community actually rise up and say, no, we demand this now. Like the civil rights movement didn't come from white people. It came from black people, right? Like, like the Me Too movement didn't come from men. It came from women. Like it came the, from Tarana Burke. Yeah, exactly. Tarana like Burke a black, people. a black yep. woman, right? Mm -hmm. Like that, this is the idea, right? It's, it reminds me, it's funny. I was just pull, pulling up the, when you mentioned that, I was pulling up the 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 mythopoetic movement. Um, I was oh, talking about yeah. that in episode four with somebody else, and there's a really uh, interesting quote because they, they one of the critiques of the movement was that it it uh, really took out uh, gay people, like like they weren't there was no recognition for gay people, um, and so the quote this is from Robert Bly when he was asked about this, he said, "Efforts to welcome gay men into the expressive movement have been flawed." Jed Diamond is right about that. Current attempts to re-understand and re-establish ritual are flawed, and certainly my efforts to understand and speak of initiation are flawed, according to with gay people. It's like, but we have to be patient with each other. And that is always the case. It's like, you need to be patient. You, like gay people, need to be patient with me. You need to be patient with me. And when pro-feminist masculinity movements are like, no, we need to help the white people first, but just be patient, be patient. Black people, don't worry. We'll get you guys. Don't worry. We're just, we need to figure this part out. This yep. 
always messes up things. They need to be a part. They need to be in the front of this movement. They're, mm-hmm. they're just some of our more marginalized populations in this world. And it's so fascinating when we, every time we put them out into the sidelines, every time we put black people out into the sidelines, gay people, anybody else, trans people, whoever it is, things bad, bad things happen. Always, 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 always. And this yeah. is just an indicativeness. The black manosphere didn't come out of nowhere. The black manosphere came out of, again, this idea of aggrieved entitlement. Like this idea that that black men were not getting theirs. And and there was a kernel of truth to that too, right? Which so they're like, not. Yeah. 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 I mean, yes. Like the healthy version of that and the unhealthy version of that, right? Mm-hmm. It's like... You know, they're marginalized, they're oppressed, there's there's like a level of like, they're targeted, like there's so many mm. different things that go into that, right? That'll like, you know, on a real very healthy level, like in terms of like being able to thrive and that kind of like pursuit of happiness and liberation situation that we mm-hmm. all, you know, everybody came to the U.S. for, like that is very much denied for for Black men in particular, um, for so many reasons, but um. But yeah, and I think that, I do think, like, I don't know, this, like, entitlement in some ways, so because of that, of course, like, this entitlement is, like, warranted in some ways, but there's always a scapegoat. Yep. There's always a scapegoat, and... Whatever, wherever the scapegoat issues aren't being dealt with. So it's like... That's exactly it. Yeah. Right? That's exactly it. Like we talked about it in the Men's Red episode, like how all of this came towards feminism and women. All these actual systemic issues were blamed at for, for women and feminism. Black mm-hmm. men now have these actual systemic issues that they're dealing with. And who do they blame? Black women. Like, <laughs> like it's... It really yeah. it it's angry at me because I've I've seen this too with Latino community too. Just like like they blame each other for this, and I'm just like, you guys, just what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Look up, guys. Yeah, look yeah. Up. <laughs> look, what are you t- it's so yeah. it's, it's really sad to see, and um, the black manosphere is something that you know Andrew Tate probably came from this this thought of the black manosphere. Honestly, I think like mm-hmm. even like podcasts like Fresh and Fit. I think really progressed through the oh black manosphere. Oh my god! <laughs> Have you watched that? I watched some parts of it. They're awful. That guy's so insufferable. dumb, <laughs> insufferable. So dumb. So, so dumb. dumb. So dumb. Yeah. yeah. And you know, again, it didn't. It doesn't come from nowhere. It's still hanging on to this. Um, and I want to end the podcast with this quote from Kimmel, uh, from Angry White Man. This is one of his um epilogues. Uh, just kind of thinking about this idea of like of addressing this. So it says, quote, addressing the anger of America's angry white man is a national political issue, not a therapeutic one. In some cases, as we've mentioned, their anger is atavistic, nostalgic, reactionary, and ultimately historically irrelevant. But in many cases, especially the working class and middle class guys who feel unable to support their families any longer, the younger dads who put in long hours being devoted dads, only to feel screwed by a system that ignores all of their inputs or the dedicated workers who suddenly lose their health benefits or are outsourced or downsized by a company that cares far more about its CEO's offshore accounts than it does the lives of its own workers. These guys have a legitimate complaint. We need concerted political action to address their anger. 
Yeah. And as we talked about in the last episode, this cycle also appears in the pro-feminist and men's communities as well. We'll talk about that in the next episode as to how this idea of political action is very important to create in ideas of movements. It cannot be individualized actions. It doesn't work that way always. And it can't be the only solution. Mm-hmm. But anyways, that's angry white men. Yeah. <laughs> the episode and apparently angry, angry black men too. Angry black men too. Yeah. 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 How are we feeling, mm-hmm. Samantha? Um, well, yeah, I, I really like the fact that, you know, this is the last quote that you chose because I do feel like it it speaks to, yeah, like there is something wrong. You know, like mm-hmm. these people are dealing with something. There's a lot of pain there. You know, of course, it's it's misdirected. And, you know, wh- women are having to take the L a lot of times for this mm-hmm. and other men, mm-hmm. you know, other folks as well. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, it is something something is wrong. You know, like this isn't an empty an empty issue. Um, and so I think. Where I'm at with it is that, I mean. Like in a utopian world where everybody was doing what they're supposed to do, whatever, people will be going to therapy, you know, there would be community services or whatever that are kind of like that can actually talk to people like as a community, right? Some of the issues that are happening, some of the ailments that are happening um, for that. But we're not in that world right now. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so how can we have a conversation around Sorry, how can we have a conversation around just support, yep. essentially? Support, vulnerability. Like, those aren't those aren't the easy conversations to no. have, but how can we have God. those conversations and what can that look like in the lens of masculinity and of grief entitlement? How, people can, how can people kind of, in their aggrieved entitlement, talk about the things that they actually need? Yeah. rather than whatever trophy will kind of like make them feel better for the moment. Yeah. That makes no, sense. No, I totally yeah. agree. And I, like I said, I keep coming back to this idea of like trying to lift people up instead of like pulling them down into this, this anger mold. Cause I think that anger mold is the thing that causes violence and it causes misdirected violence, it causes misdirected aggression. Um, because we do have a lot of these, these contrarian shitlord edgelords bad faith actors out there and who will not only take you and and say to you you know what i know that you're angry you're angry at this person though you're angry at women you're angry at feminism you're angry at black women whatever the case is this is the person you're angry for and it's very easy to just say that we need, mm-hmm. it's so much harder to say you need to be angry at a system that doesn't like you um, because that is a nuanced topic. So I think as people yeah. who are progressive, that is always the, the, the hardest thing is to say, to take these people who are angry, who are justifiably angry and say, you need to direct your anger up. <laughs> you don't need to direct it down. <laughs> it's so hard for people to do that, right? <laughs> yes. And I feel like that's the important part about the community piece that you're talking about because otherwise you feel powerless, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. You feel powerless against that big power, against that kind of really intricate system that's been, you know, kind of worked on and like 
created and like has all of these different crevices and facets of of fuckery essentially designed to keep you down like mm-hmm. that's why community is so important because otherwise mm-hmm. you do feel powerless against this and so you turn to the only ways that you can feel power which is a, through domination by punching down so it mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and yeah. it's hard too like and i get it like it's these messages that these people give out are provocative and they are invitational almost like there are a way for people to to buy into this idea that they have <clears throat> like the proud boys they have members they're not because they're stupid they they know what they're doing they know exactly how to get these people mm-hmm. same thing with the black manosphere they know exactly how to get uh the people they're popular for a reason <laughs> they're not you can't this, this just throw that away and say this is awful and just like ignore it same thing with incels. Like, there's a reason why, and we talked about this. Like, we've all been there. We've all been in that situation where we thought we were we were never going to get somebody. We we're just a really low situation. We've been there before. Mm-hmm. I get it. So all these things, like, I totally understand. And also, I think we need to help people be like notice when somebody is being a contrarian someone is being like a shithead and an and an edgelord and just try to ignore that you know what i mean if somebody is just trying to ride like either hanging up your cackles or just like inviting you into this anger pool like we need people to ignore those things and just move on (laughs) And I think that takes a community project. Yeah, that yeah. really, really does. And it's everybody in the community. It's not just white people. It's not just like white men or in general. It's just, it needs to be everybody. It mm-hmm. needs to really be everybody. It yeah. really does. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, I yeah. think that's the last things I want to say with that. <laughs> any, last, any last words? Um. Yeah, I mean, I guess the only thing I'll say to piggyback on that is like, That community is exactly how these proud boys and manosphere and all of that. That's how they came to be, right? They, you know, they 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 mobilize everyone in their pain and their grief. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, like we said before, yeah, they, you know, that's been systematized. There's there's a a systematized defense that they have. Like they are defended. Yep. Um, and you know, and we. Like, it's hard to be able to get that defense system if we don't have that community, you know? Totally. So, Totally, totally, totally. The community part is so, so important. So crucial. Yeah. (sighs) Thanks so much, Samantha, for doing this. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. This is really, I have like thousands more things to say, but I feel like, yeah, this is, you know, it never stops. So. Yeah, um, for sure. And Thank you so much for having me. No, and it, it was your... You know, I really wanted you to have to be here for this episode specifically, just because I know that we were talking about the Black Manosphere. But specifically, this is a very American-centric episode. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it does, like I said, even though we have like Canadians that are involved with a lot of these things, a lot of like North American culture, especially "quote unquote" Western culture, is involved with a lot of these things. Um, I know that it's not in the most international of, of histories, but it is something that we kind of see on a day-to-day basis. A lot of people know who the Proud Boys are and a lot of people know who the incels are. I don't yes. think many people know who Black Manosphere are, but I feel like this is, again, an important piece to talk about, this this idea of race in regards to um, what these masculinity movements are. So I appreciate you being here. I don't know if I could have done this without you. So this is oh, fantastic. Okay. <laughs> nice. Good. Great. And um, um, 
Yeah, go ahead. Um, no, yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, I think one thing also that sometimes mm-hmm. gets missed, like in this, in conversations when we like stratify like racism and like sexism and all of these things, it's like, this is all American, this is all North American culture. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, this is all, like, it's not surprising, like, that you're dealing with it, you know, in the Latino community, how you, as you mentioned, or whatever, mm-hmm. or I've had conversations or whatever with Black folks about this or whatever, like, this is all American culture, like, regardless of the fact that we have our own cultures that we also obviously kind of are part of and everything, this is the culture that kind of houses us, right? And so it's completely, we, we you know, there's like racism involved or whatever because we live in a white supremacy and stuff. But at the end of the day, that's permeating throughout cultures everywhere. Mm-hmm. And then now, and then of course, you know, with social media and everything, American culture Unfortunately, it tends to impact a lot of other cultures. So, like, even though the yeah. Black manosphere or whatever incel culture and all of that, a lot of it started here. There's, like, all kinds of wild shit going on in Ch- Like, all kinds of wild shit going on in China right now with the government involved in a lot of, like, suppression um, around, like, like, stories of women being assaulted, raped, all kinds of things. Like, the Chinese government has, like, suppressed stories directly yep. to not upset the conversation, to not kind of create this, like, you know, rise or whatever. And that's, I'm sure that's happening in a lot of other places. Yeah, so, I'm sure you know. too. I totally agree. I yeah. totally agree. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I do, like I said, like, I, I know this is a more of an American-based view, but... I know these things kind of permeate to to everything else. And so this is important. If you have any questions or, or uh, concerns or comments or whatever, hit me up. Um, I'm open to to listening more about this and um, hit me up at a modern man, modern man pod on Instagram and on Twitter. Um, Samantha, I, I know your masculinity podcast is coming out soon. Hopefully yes. um, I know that you're working on it right now. Yeah. So I'm excited for that as well. Um and yeah, I think we'll hear your more your voice on Cool Takes uh, over the, yeah. when some of the episodes come out as well, too. So yeah, for again, sure. thanks again so much for being here. Thank you. Okay, that was Modern Manhood, episode six. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, it's probably the most present of all of the episodes that we did. And uh, really, thank you so much, Samantha, for stepping in to uh, do the commentary on this episode. I really appreciate uh, that, not only the American perspective, but um, just the Black perspective, especially when we talked about the Black manosphere. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in. And again, if you uh, want to support the things that we do at Next Gen Men, um, especially through the podcast network, I can't really do it without them. So uh, please go to nextgenmen.ca slash support um, and just pitch in to to be part of that community as well um as well there's going to be some events coming up um through your community as well as online so yeah make sure you do that just go to nextgenmen.ca and check those things out if you just want to uh, pitch in a few bucks that's totally cool too so really appreciate uh one more episode left of modern manhood uh the last episode will be more of a positive note we hope (laughs) figuring out what the future of the men's movement is in this space specifically through the pro-feminist lens uh we'll talk a lot about the anti-violence uh movement that went on in the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s as well as talk about the prominent figures that were around that space uh and including the end of what may be the institutionalized version of the men's movements and 
looking ahead. So really hope you stick around. We have one more episode that's coming up next week. So we'll see you next time on Modern Mandarin.